Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's business time, baby. The Solo Monster sounds off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. I like fighting a woman? Oh my god, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Come over here and fight me. Delete. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! I am a one-man wrecking crew. Halloween 2019 edition of the Solo Monster sounds off here for Sunday, October 27th, 2019. I am the Solo Monster. Always my favorite time of year. Got scary movies. We've got some scary TV shows, including on Mondays and Fridays. We have a uh, super scary Saudi show coming up on Thursday that I'm going to preview here in a second. A lot of stuff to get to, including some t-shirt controversy this morning. When we uh, get to NXT, we'll address that. That's uh, turned into quite the thing on social media with a certain NXT star this morning. So we'll get into all that. For those of you who may have missed it, there is a brand new Sound Off Gamer up on the YouTube channel. It has been many, many months since I have done a Gamer video. I am uh, happy to finally start getting back to them. Decided to play a game that everybody can play right now online for free. Although I think it's an app also that you can download on your phone. I think it's on Steam. It's a real game, but you can play it online for free called Short Life. So I included a link to it in the description of the video for those of you who want to play and show me how it's done. So that's up on YouTube right now. If you'd like to make a PayPal donation to the show, you can always do so on thesolomonster.com. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout out. I want to do roll call here for all of our supporters, our VIPs. John Luce Cannon Lopez, Deadpool James Herrera, the Portland pop star Paul Hamilton, out of control Cody Thomas, who turns 30 tomorrow. Welcome to the 30 Club. It ain't so bad. It's not so bad. Killshot Keith Hart, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, the Anarchist Andrew Heller, the Chicago Slayer Willie Eichard, Deathblow David Floyd, happy 28th birthday to David. Stephen Handyman Hallistick, Recon Russell Bullwear, Handsome Harold White, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soap, the Rabbit King, Christian Die, Rottweiler Robert Weinstein, AJ the Animal. We also have Mike Badman Banks, who would like to extend a shout out, as I would, to his father, Paul Money in the Banks who celebrated his 60th birthday yesterday, wishing Paul a very happy birthday for, uh, not just from myself, but from his family and uh, the entire Solomonster family. I understand that Paul is celebrating in Barcelona, which is not a bad way to spend a birthday. Unless you're running with the Bulls. Uh, well, actually, that's Pamplona, not Barcelona. Running with the Bulls would probably make for a very bad birthday. 
especially if you're 60 years old. So hopefully he's not doing that, but happy birthday to him. I also have to uh, give a shout out to one of our listeners. He served in the Air Force for eight years. And in those eight years, he bought up a whole bunch of games that he had wanted to play. Didn't have time to play them. Never had any time. Well, now he's making up for lost time. He has a Twitch channel, so if you'd like to follow along, his Twitch handle is... It's basically supposed to be Omega Flick, Omega E, L-I-X, but it's O-M, the number 3, G-A-E-L-I-X, so you can follow him on there. And I want to give a shout out to Chris in San Antonio. He has been a listener for many years, and he heard me talking about horror movies on the last show as we head here into Halloween this week, and he shared with me a link to a movie that he both made and stars in, called Jackson, which just hit Amazon Prime last weekend. It's about a paranormal investigator who discovers that his son has the ability to see spirits. So I have it on my list of things to watch this week. If you want to check it out, search the name Chris Wager on Amazon Prime. Chris Wager. Punch that into Amazon Prime, and Jackson should be the first thing that comes up. I was thinking, you know, I'd love to be in a horror movie one day. I mean, I am every Monday at 8 p.m., but I mean like an actual horror movie. They were filming a movie outside my office this week, and they post notices all around the neighborhood. And I have no idea if it's... It's probably not a horror movie. It's probably some uh, chick flick or something. But Because uh, I see all the, all the girls, all the ladies are hanging out outside. I couldn't get a beat on who it was that was uh, hanging out next door. But you got all the trailers, and they have all the platters of food for everybody, and all the signs, and they don't tell you the name of the movie. It just gives you the name of the production company. Sometimes I'm able to investigate on IMDb and figure it out. I have no idea what they were filming, but I'm watching this as they're lining all the people up and all the background players and everything, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, how cool would it be to be in a horror movie and get killed? Like, even like a bit part. I always have that, like, annoying white guy in the movie. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see that guy get killed. That could be me. I'm going to put that on my bucket list of things to do. And a shout-out to FrickFrack18 on iTunes for the uh, kind review. Sweet Saudi Money 4 from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, airs live at 1 p.m. Eastern. So if you are going to watch it, just be aware that is the start time, 1 p.m. Eastern. I think there might be an hour pre-show before that, but that's the start time on the WWE Network this Thursday, Halloween. And here's the rundown of the card. There will be a 20-man battle royal taking place with the winner earning a United States Championship match later on in the night against AJ Styles. They have not listed anybody who is in the battle royal as I am recording this. They might, you know, later on. Uh, But we have no idea who any of the 20 men are going to be in this match. You know, under under normal circumstances, given that the winner goes on to wrestle AJ after what happened on Raw recently, I would say Kevin Owens, but uh, I don't believe he's making the trip over there. I think he's sort of part of of that contingent of people like Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn who do not go over to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but I would be surprised if he went over there. So for me, uh, depending on who's in the damn thing, you you have to assume it would be a Raw guy. Although I guess with WWE, it doesn't even matter anymore. Uh, I'm thinking Buddy Murphy or Humberto Carrillo coming off his match with Seth Rollins on Raw last Monday. I think either one of those guys could win. Uh, wrestle AJ later in the night, get a great match out of it, fall short, lose in the end. So I'm going to go with Buddy Murphy. 
as my pick. I'm flying blind on this, but I'm going to pick Murphy. We have Cesaro taking on Mansoor. And I said this last week. We haven't seen a whole lot of Mansoor on NXT television. He's made a few appearances here and there that he just vanishes. Uh, and what little I've seen of him... I mean, he's he's actually a very good speaker. Last Saudi show, I believe it was the last one. Uh, he got some mic time. He was super over, obviously, with that audience, but he was on the microphone and he was, you know, pouring his heart out about what it meant to him. And, and it was a great little speech. But what little I've seen of him in the ring, he's very good. So putting him in the ring with somebody like Cesaro, I think you have the potential here for what, frankly, could end up being the best match on the card. And we know Mansoor is going to be over, given where they are. So this is going to be one to watch. And uh, Mansoor, of course, is going to pick up the win. Then we have the largest tag team turmoil match in history to crown the best tag team in the world, which is impossible because the Lucha Bros are not in this match. We have the Viking Raiders, Heavy Machinery, Lucha House Party, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, The Revival, The O.C., Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode, the B-team, and the New Day. Now, originally, it was going to be Big E and Xavier Woods. Woods was injured last Sunday at their live event in Sydney, Australia. They were wrestling the Revival in the opening match. Woods, I think he was Irish-whipped, I think, into the ropes, and he was just coming off the ropes, right? The most basic of, of movements, so the most basic of maneuvers, and he just went down. Immediately went down with an Achilles tear. It's a very serious injury. It's an injury that, hey, some people, you know, there's a question of whether or not they'll ever be able to even come back. Although I think that would be more for like a football player. Uh, there have been wrestlers that have come back from Achilles tears. Edge being maybe the most uh, prolific one that I could think of. You know, he uh, he missed about six months, which is at the lower end of what they expect you to miss. Uh, he missed about six months with his tear. And with Edge, it was a simple leapfrog at the start of a house show match against Jeff Hardy, very similar to what happened here to Woods. Basic move, early in the match, live event, boom, down. Probably some of the worst pain that you could experience from what I've uh, from what I've read. Just a total freak occurrence. It seems like usually that's how it happens with these wrestlers. So he had surgery on Friday. Uh, he's expected out anywhere from six months to a year. In his place, Kofi Kingston. The former WWE champion will step in to represent New Day. Team Hogan, captained by Roman Reigns with Rusev Ricochet, Chad Gable, and Mustafa Ali, take on Team Flair, captained by Randy Orton, King Corbin, Bobby Lashley, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Drew McIntyre. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to pick Team Flair. Now... People are going to hear that and say, well, you're not really going out on much of a limb. Team Hogan, or or some variation of Team Hogan on Friday night, picked up a win on SmackDown, a little preview of uh, their match in Saudi. And Team Hogan won on Friday night. So doesn't it make sense that Team Flair would get their win back at the uh, at the show? Consider what you're talking about here. What we're talking about is effectively Hulk Hogan against Ric Flair. It is hard for me to conceive of a situation in which Hulk Hogan would ever do any kind of job to Ric Flair. Even with surrogates. So I'm going to go, yes, it is actually, I'm taking a chance here by picking Team Flair. This, I think, would be a good chance 
to put someone like a Drew McIntyre over Strong, give him the, the pinfall win. Uh, maybe they have Lashley pin Rusev. Just embarrass the guy even more. So I'm picking Team Flair. Now on Hogan, I saw the video of Hulk Hogan's confrontation with a fan at the airport bar in Kansas City on Friday. I don't have the full context of what happened other than this apparently went down at the airport bar after SmackDown on Friday night. Hogan was at the bar. He was having a drink, I believe. He was minding... Well, that's what people do at a friggin' bar. He was minding his own business. He had one crutch under his arm. I guess that's how he walks around. Yeah, and he wants to wrestle Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Yeah, good luck with that. When a fan approached him to ask for a photo, and when Hulk refused, and I don't know if he said, I'm sorry, brother, I'm about to leave, or if he just ignored the guy. Again, I don't have the full context of exactly how it went down. And frankly, even if Hulk was kind of being a dick, it almost doesn't even matter here. He refused. And when he did, the fan got all pissy. And someone pulled out their phone and they started to record because that's what people do. Now, I did hear the fan on the video, if you listen to it, and the clip's up on uh, on Twitter. You can hear the fan on video telling Hogan, you make your living off of us. And you know what? I don't need any context. I don't need to hear anything else after I hear that. That right there tells me that you are a gigantic asshole. Just the sense of entitlement here is absolutely nauseating. You make your living off me. You make your living off us, man. It's like those bozos who told CM Punk, I bought your house. No, you didn't. You bought a bike to ride to work. And you're three months late on your rent in your shitty basement apartment. Sit the fuck down. Sit down. You didn't buy anybody a house. You fool. I don't even care what you think of Hogan. He has no obligation to sign anything or to take any photos if he's outside of the arena, at a bar or wherever, minding his own business. I did laugh in the video when Hogan comes back, his big comeback was, let me tell you something, brother. And I swear to God, that's how that's exactly how he opened it. <laughs> he says, let me tell you something, brother. Living the gimmick 24-7. He goes, let me tell you something, brother. Last time I drank a Shirley Temple was when me and your wife got together. That was his big comeback. I hope nobody was filming when they got together. So Hogan kind of limped off on his crutch. He said, I don't know if he told the fan or was telling people around him, hey, have a good night. He was trying to be nice, even though he just insulted the guy's wife. And he uh, he limped off. You could see Jimmy Hart in the back of the video. Like, if you really pay close attention, like, off in the distance, he's always lurking. Wherever Hogan goes, so goes Jimmy Hart. It, it, that's why I'm kind of worried. Like, God forbid anything ever happens to Hogan and he, and he dies. Like, you hear about these stories of old couples where, like, the wife goes, and then all of a sudden, like, days or weeks later, the husband dies. It's like they can't live without each other. I'm kind of worried about Jimmy. If anything ever happens to Hogan, you may feel obligated to just sign off. But there he was in the background. You see Brian Kendrick in the video. So obviously some of the, you know, talent or staff or whatever, uh, they were all, not, they weren't all together, but they were hanging out at this bar. And yeah, I can imagine the fan, I don't know if he was being obnoxious. Maybe the fan was being nice. And he was just saying, oh, Mr. Hogan, can I get a photo? And, you know, yeah, it would be nice if Hogan gave the guy a photo. If that were me, I'd be upset if he said no. But you know what? He's under no obligation to do anything for you. And then to start going off on him with this nonsense about how, you know, I pay your bills or 
I bought you a house. Again, sit the fuck down. Who are you? I thought the fan came off far worse than Hogan did in that video. We have Braun Strowman taking on Tyson Fury. They've been hyping this match now for weeks. They shot an angle. And I can appreciate them trying to put some heat on this thing, but it's like they just don't know how to do these things anymore. It just feels that way, right? Every time they try something like this, it just comes off as lame. They shot this angle at the Performance Center. Tyson Fury is in the ring. He's training. He's getting ready. He's running the ropes. He's doing shoulder tackles with some of the trainers there. And he's about to come off the ropes. He says to the guy, you ready? And he's going to hit the ropes. And he's going to come off, I guess, with another shoulder tackle. As he turns to go run towards the ropes, he hits the ropes, he comes off, and out of nowhere, Braun Strowman appears. And instead, he shoulder tackles uh, Tyson Fury. Fury goes down. If you watch it over, nothing happened to his ankle, but he immediately grabs his ankle as though he, he twisted it. Braun's laughing. He exits the performance center. How do you not see a six foot eight, 350 pound guy? It's almost like it just stretches the boundaries of believability that he could appear so quickly. So this was a lame angle. Uh, this whole buildup, frankly, has been lame is a great word for it. From the face to face they had in the ring where Tyson Fury couldn't break a pen in his hand. I still don't understand what the fuck that was all about. I mean, are we supposed to believe that this guy... I I don't. I truly do not understand what the point of that was. Maybe they had an idea in their head and it just didn't come off right. This entire angle has reeked of lameness. So now they're going to go to Saudi Arabia. Tyson Fury is going to make a few million dollars. He's going to beat Braun Strowman. Unless they do some kind of no contest and they shake hands at the end. I think that would be worse, <laughs> frankly. And then we're never going to see him again. Because he's only in for the one match. He's got a fight coming up, I think, in February. He's going to be back in training soon. He would love to work with WWE more in the future. He's a huge fan. He's open to doing more with them. But this is it. It's a one and done. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's the undefeated boxing champion. He's not coming in to lose to a pro wrestler. So this is either going to be some kind of a fuck finish where there is no winner. Or Braun Strowman is going to lose to a non-wrestler. I fail to see how any of this helps Braun Strowman in any way. Seth Rollins defends the Universal Championship against The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, in a Falls Count Anywhere match where the match cannot be stopped for any reason. The only question is, do they recognize that they made a mistake at Hell in a Cell? 
because this is a company that isn't always self-aware. Sometimes they're self-aware. Much of the time, they're not. Do they realize that they made a mistake and correct it by changing the title here? Or do they do another screwy finish just to get them to Survivor Series back here on American soil so they can do a third match? They could also change the title and do a third match at Survivor Series anyway. But do they hold off on doing anything until Survivor Series? Let's just get through this show. Is this more time filler before they get to wherever the destination is that they plan on going? Because there was advertising out promoting a match between them at Survivor Series, you know, as recently as a few weeks ago. We know that Seth Rollins was not originally scheduled to defend his championship here because they already had him slotted as the captain for Team Hogan. So they made the change for a reason. But The Fiend is on SmackDown now. And we were told that WWE is going to be super serious this time about this brand split. So I say Seth Rollins retains. I don't know how, but he does. Because now it makes no sense for Bray to win the championship, or the Raw title, if he's going to be on SmackDown. The Fiend also lost to Rollins in a cage match after Raw went off the air last Monday. Rollins escaped the cage, so he did not pin The Fiend. But I did see the video, and it was it was hilarious hearing the boos after Rollins won. The one place on Earth that I think he will probably, uh, or he could probably beat The Fiend and not get booed, universally booed, the universal champion won't be universally booed, is probably where they're going to be for this show, which is overseas, in Saudi Arabia. So Rollins is going to get a practice run tomorrow night on Raw. He's going to have a false Count Anywhere match against Eric Rowan. We'll see how that goes. At a Q&A in Houston last weekend, Seth Rollins was asked about wrestling Kenny Omega. He was asked a question about Kenny Omega, and he caused a great big stir when he said that when Kenny is done working in the minor leagues, he can come to WWE. He can come to WWE. He can make the most money in WWE. They could have the biggest matches together at WrestleMania. And people went in on Seth Rollins for these comments. Some people lost their minds. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to stand up for Seth Rollins on this one. I don't think he said anything wrong. He was just getting back at Omega, tongue-in-cheek, I thought, for the comments that Kenny made uh, all those weeks ago about everybody in NXT or the big names in NXT all being developmental and how they would all be in dark matches in AEW watching him wrestle in main events. Adam Cole would be in dark matches watching Kenny Omega wrestle main events. And the same for Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa and Matt Riddle and all those guys. And I didn't take those comments seriously either because I saw what Omega was trying to do. He's just trying to stir shit up. I don't believe for a second that he buys into uh, what he said in that interview. All of this was designed to just get people talking and to try to play up the narrative that there's some kind of a war. Some people say there is no war. Some people say there is a war. Just trying to play it up. They're trying to get something going. Jim Ross was very upset by what Seth Rollins had to say. And on his podcast, he said it doesn't do any favors for the business. Labeling any wrestling promotion as minor league like that 
is not, in his view, a classy thing to say. He claims to have spoken with two Hall of Famers, off the record, that were embarrassed by what Seth Rollins said. One of them even told him that he thinks maybe Seth is breaking under the pressure because he's been getting a lot of criticism. Now, what did I say on this podcast four months ago, back in June? It's probably the clip that when it ended up on YouTube, it's probably the clip that got me blocked. I said Rollins is cracking under the pressure of being the champion at a time when the brand is not drawing. Not that SmackDown is doing much better, but Rollins has hardly been some kind of great champion. At the time, it was at that time it was less about him getting all of the criticism, and he was more uh, he was starting to respond to just the general criticism that people had about the company. He was he was as a company man, he was very offended. He felt he had to stick up for WWE. But I said at the time, I said he's taking it personally, and it's getting to him, which is why he made some of the dumb comments that he made at that time about Moxley and some other things that he said. Absolutely, I believe that this guy is coming apart at the seams, and he does. And as Jr. said, he does live a charmed life. You know, I'm sure he gets paid very well. He runs his own little coffee shop business on the side. He's got a, a, a training facility. He's got a lot of business interests. He's getting married to Becky Lynch. He's the champion on Monday Night Raw. He's got a lot going for him. But he is coming apart at the seams because the criticism is is just occupying so much space up in his brain. And it's no different than criticism that John Cena got. It's no different than criticism that Roman Reigns got. And boy, you know, when I look at those guys, even even his boy Roman, and I got to give the guy credit, Roman was always a consummate professional whenever he would respond to this stuff or... Actually, he wouldn't. How many times did Roman Reigns go on Twitter and have some kind of meltdown on social media? Never. Because if it did bother him, he kept it to himself. He said, listen, I can only do what I can do. I'm being booked by the company. This is how I'm being portrayed on television. I go out, I do my job, I have my fans. That's all I can do. All I can do is go out and try to be a great spokesman for the company. And he didn't let it get to him. And I have a lot of respect for Roman Reigns for that. Because that guy took a lot of shit. And still does, but not to the degree that he was, you know, two or three years ago. He took a lot of crap. Some of which was undeserved. But he didn't let it get to him. Not publicly. This guy is coming apart at the seams. So then JR continued. He said Rollins is in a great spot. He's blessed. And maybe someday he'll be as over as his girlfriend. He's a solid guy and it makes him look bad. And he feels badly for him. That's what Jim Ross said. I would think that if Seth Rollins was upset about any of that. And if he is, he's not showing it. He's actually been kind of tongue-in-cheek. And I think actually this he's been playing off in a good way. Uh, he's been playing it off for laughs in uh, in certain comments. But if Rollins was genuinely upset about anything that JR would have said there, I guarantee you it ain't the part about uh, Becky being more over than him. Uh, which is true, by the way. That's just a fact. Uh, it's not that, though. It's probably the part where JR said he felt sorry for him. Because there's nothing more insulting and hurtful to someone's pride, especially somebody probably in the position that he's in, than saying you feel sorry for them. Nobody wants people feeling sorry for them. Now, I think JR went overboard about the minor league stuff because, again, Rollins was just giving Kenny Omega a receipt for what he said about the NXT crew. And I would bet anything 
that if you go back over the last 25 years, especially back when Jim Ross was heading talent relations in WWE and they were in a war head-to-head with WCW and there was a lot of bad blood there on both sides, a lot of my team against their team kind of stuff, I can almost guarantee you'll be able to find at least some examples of JR saying things in interviews or, or whatever about the other company or people who work there that was just as bad as Rollins calling AEW minor league or even worse or even more offensive. So I think this was blown way out of proportion. Uh, and by the way, Chris Jericho has said worse about WWE since leaving the company and signing with AEW and he's their champion. I don't hear JR saying much about Chris Jericho when he talks shit about WWE or NXT. Or he's on television talking about bad creative for Jake Hager or whatever. Boy, you know, JR is awfully silent on that. So please, spare me the outrage. And Brock Lesnar defends the WWE Championship against the man who literally scarred him for life in UFC, Cain Velasquez, in what will be only... Kane's third professional wrestling match. His first two uh, came in each of the last two months, both in six-man tags working for AAA. This will be his first singles match, and it's for the WWE title in the main event against Brock Lesnar. That's one hell of a first opponent. Now, I know Kane Velasquez, he's a tough guy. Doesn't look it. He walks out there. And you wouldn't look at the guy and think, oh, you know, he's some big, uh, you know, great uh, professional athlete. But looks can be deceiving. I know that he's a tough dude. He's beaten some big names. He's a huge wrestling fan. He and his whole family, huge wrestling fans. I have seen absolutely nothing out of this guy so far in these last few weeks in the segments they put him in. That little physical segment with Shelton Benjamin where he took him down. Came off kind of lame. Promos that he's done, like promo-wise or anything. I mean, sometimes he can ratchet the intensity up, but it just... There's been absolutely nothing that he has done or said to get me excited about wanting to see this match. I think that you are either excited about this match or not, strictly based on the history that they have. There is nothing that they have done or said, especially Kane in particular, that I think would get people even more excited. You're either excited already or you're not. You're certainly not going to get excited by anything they've done on television these last few weeks. I don't think. And I'm going to talk more about these segments that we saw with them on TV when I talk about Raw and SmackDown. As far as who's going to win, I cannot imagine a scenario in which Cain Velasquez in his first match wins the WWE Championship. And what a freaking mistake that would be if he did. Yeah, it would get get their sports center moment, but I think that would be a gigantic mistake. And I just can't imagine it's going to happen. So I think Brock Lesnar retains the championship. I don't know if this is going to lead to more or if this is a one and done. Because Kane is in for three years. He signed a three-year deal. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be with them, you know, I say full-time. I don't know if that means he'll be on TV every week. I don't know if that means he's going to have a Brock-type deal. He's walking around. He's got a knee brace on. Is he going to have knee surgery after this? Is he not going to have knee surgery? I don't know. He's got some kind of a knee issue. Obviously, it's not that serious. Or else they wouldn't let him wrestle. So there's a lot of questions about how they're going to use him going forward. Are they going to put a mask on him? Supposedly, he wanted to work in a mask like he was doing in AAA and be some kind of, you know, Lucha Libre uh, superhero. Maybe Brock will beat him so badly and he'll disfigure him the way that Kane disfigured Brock that he'll disappear and come back with a mask on. May not be the worst idea. 
you know they could come up with worse. But I think Brock is retaining his championship. Uh, I'll have a review up for the show on Thursday. I may go live for it on YouTube. I may not. I haven't decided yet. Uh, But yes, I will have a uh, sweet Saudi money review on uh, Thursday for those who are either not going to watch the show, but you're curious about how it went, or if you are going to be working, you're going to miss the show, uh, I will have a review up then for all of you. Now let's talk about Monday Night Raw, which was live from Cleveland, Ohio this past Monday. And before I even get into the show, this this is very hard to believe. Couldn't believe this when I read it, but it really does show how far WWE has fallen ratings-wise in the UK. Which has always been a hot base for them, because they don't go over there very often. There's a lot of wrestling fans in the UK. I know, like as far as my show, yes, it is predominantly... People based in the U.S. who listen to my show, but by far uh, the next largest pool of listeners that I have all come from countries in the U.K. So the U.K. has a very big wrestling fan base there. Uh, but this, again, shows how far WWE has fallen in popularity, at least in terms of the people willing to stay up at 1 o'clock in the morning and watch their TV shows. And it shows, I think, why this new BT Sport deal that they struck a few months ago might make things worse. And not better. Raw last Monday drew a whopping 3,000 viewers in the UK. You heard that right. 3,000 viewers. In the Observer, Meltzer says at first people thought maybe it was some kind of computer glitch. But upon checking, it was an accurate number. Now to compare, the October 7th Raw which I believe was, that was the Raw that I think they invited Tyson Fury to come get an open mic to address what happened on that first uh, SmackDown on Fox with Braun Strowman. And Tyson Fury is, you know, a big name over in the UK. Uh, That Raw episode on October 7th drew 48,000 viewers. The next week it drew 38,000. And then this past week, it was down to just 3,000. It just, it almost seems impossible just saying that. Now, Impact Wrestling, you know, it, admittedly in a better time slot, had 77,000 viewers on October 18th. AEW Dynamite airing on the main ITV channel on October 14th, that was that Monday replay, did 232,000 viewers. Now, ITV, I think, is the biggest channel over there, so that makes sense. But that's, I mean, that's a huge disparity in the number of viewers. I mean, 3,000, I mean, that reads like crisis numbers to me in the UK. And it is surprising given how much of an appetite that they have uh, for WWE, or it seems like uh, they they have over there for WWE. Or maybe it's not as hot as it used to be. I mean, my UK folks listening to this right now can chime in on this and let me know in the uh, Facebook comments when the link goes up, or YouTube, or wherever you're listening to this, you can chime in. And, and give me a reality check on the situation with WWE over there. And if you think things are poised to get better, or do you think things are poised to get even worse with this BT Sport deal? When they move from Sky to BT Sport, it seems to me like they're probably going to get worse before they get better. But you would know better than I would. Raw Monday night, a friend of mine was at the show. He was going to uh, shows at that building even back when it was still called the Gund. It used to be the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. Now it's called the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, another shitty arena name. You can add that one to the pile. 
I'm pretty sure he was in the building for Raw the night that Stone Cold won the title back from Kane the night after the King of the Ring in 1998. Uh, If they were in Cleveland that night, then that was it. Uh, And it had to be, actually, now that I think about it, because I remember there being a sign in the crowd that popped me when I saw it that said, uh, send help, the gun is on fire. And it was, it was, that that building was rocking that night. Uh, Anyway, he texted me from the building on Monday, he was at the show, to tell me that he could not believe how many seats were tarped off in the arena. He had never seen that many tarped off sections at any point in all the years that he's gone to WWE shows in that building. Now, you know, I'm used to hearing stories about this, or a lot of you have probably been to WWE shows. You've, I mean, we've seen this now for months and months and months. They tarp off sometimes the entire upper deck. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, some of these SmackDown tapings in recent months have been the worst, where they have to literally tarp off half of the arena and they only film one side. That's how bad things have gotten in terms of the tarping off of the sections. But to him, he had never seen anything like that in that building before. So he just he DM'd me during the show and he was telling me, I, I can't believe it. I said, dude, that's the way it is. You know, wrestling, hey, it ain't as hot as it used to be. But the uh, Twitter poll had over 3,800 votes. Just 25% voted thumbs up, 75% said thumbs down. And somebody on Twitter asked me, they go, you know... When was Because people are getting very upset by these poll results. They, they like Raw. It's getting better. You people are just haters. All the people that used to vote didn't watch. Now you just vote thumbs down. And yeah, there's, there's certain people who do that. There is an element of people who do that. But I always laugh when I hear that from people who just want the, the didn't watch option to come back. And I, I really regret that I ever did that in the first place. Uh, just because I, I felt, well, you know, we'll give an option to people. But it... You know, I, at the end of the day, I have to stick to my guns. And if you're going to vote, you got to vote thumbs up or thumbs down. None of this thumbs in the middle bullshit. You know, I like parts of the show, but not others. Well, then give it a thumbs up. You know, you got to make a choice. That's why I got rid of the option. I also did it because Twitter, in its infinite wisdom, does not give people the ability to view poll results unless you vote in the poll, which I think is incredibly stupid. That they don't have some kind of link that says, you know, view results, like a normal poll. But, you know, I always talk about the polls on the weekend show. So all you got to do is wait a few days and I talk about them and I give the results here on the show. But some people are very upset about this. As if they think that, look, I have 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 people sometimes voting in these polls. Do you honestly believe (laughs) that, like, half or more of those people are just voting 
thumbs down because the didn't watch option isn't there anymore. I, I can't put a number on it, but I guarantee you it's not that many. So the poll results are indicative of what people thought of the show. You don't have to like the results. They're not your poll. They're my poll. You don't like it? Don't vote in the fucking poll. I don't know what to tell you. But boy, it's got a lot of people riled up. And it's really getting on my last nerve. But I had somebody ask me, they said, you know, when was the last time that Raw got more thumbs up than thumbs down in one of your polls? As if it's some kind of indictment, you know, on on the polling. And I was really happy they asked me that because I had a comeback for them instantly because they thought they were being cute probably. And maybe they weren't. And if they weren't, I apologize. But there definitely are people who say, oh, you know, when was the last time, you know, one of the polls got more thumbs up than thumbs down? And it didn't take me very long to point out to these uh, to these folks. You don't have to go back months and months, believe it or not. Guess what? Raw got a positive score all but one week in the month of September, which in case you didn't realize, was just last month. The only Raw to get a thumbs down score in September was the season premiere at the end of the month. So again, I don't know if if that person, whoever they were, was asking a legitimate question or if they were asking rhetorically to try to prove some kind of point, but I shut that shit down real quick. You don't have to go back very far, believe it or not. There have been a lot of positive raw polls this year. I know it doesn't fit your narrative, but there have been a lot of positive raw polls this year. It just so happens that people did not like this show and do not like much about raw when they tune in. And it's easy to blame the fans for that. And yes, like I said, some people are always going to shit on it. There are people like that who will shit on it no matter what. Because it's the thing to do. But not to the tune of 3,000 people. Come on. The people let their voices be heard. They don't like what they're seeing from Monday Night Raw. Now with the draft behind us and they have new faces on the show, maybe the worm will turn. I didn't think this show was as awful as some people made it out to be. But large chunks of the show were still very dull. It did feel like, though, they were making an effort to feature some new faces. So, again, would I have voted 25 down, 75 up? No. I probably would have voted something closer to maybe 40, 60. But there were definitely parts of the show that were a slog to sit through. Now, this week was about trying to push some of the new faces. Paul Heyman, though, he's got his work cut out for him. He may try, but he's got his work cut out for him. It's not going to be easy. With the track record that this company has of trying to make new stars, it will not be easy. And I laughed at all of the outrage I saw about the fact that there were no women's matches on the show this week. The women were overseas in Australia. And to be honest with you, I did not even notice until people started bitching about it on Twitter. Did not even notice that there were no women's matches on the show this week. It did not make the show any better. It did not make the show any worse. Now, I enjoyed the opener between Drew McIntyre and Ricochet. Solid win for McIntyre in his first match back. A a little bit of revenge for Ricochet bouncing him out of the first round of the King of the Ring. Even the little mid-match promo that Sarah Schreiber grabbed at ringside with Ric Flair. like It's something like you would see at halftime of a football game. I thought that was pretty cool. I'd like to see them do more of that. Of course... Most people are not able to cut a promo like Ric Flair does. <laughs> Even though I barely understand what the guy is saying. He talks like he's got marbles in his mouth. They, they need to put fucking closed captions on the screen when he speaks. But it's still very entertaining. It's a hell of a lot more entertaining than I bet most people on that show would be cutting promos. 
I did laugh when he asked what city they're in for SmackDown on Friday. Sarah thought he was he was asking what what city are we in now? What city are we in tonight? Where am I? I don't know where I am. So she told him Cleveland. He had to tell her, "I know where we are right now." I'm talking about Friday. You know what? I'd be surprised. I would be very surprised if Flair knows where he is half the time, because you know, to him, all the bars look the same. We had a King's Court with Rusev. Lashley and Lana were eating at her favorite restaurant. She always wanted Rusev to take her to this restaurant. She said it was a dream to eat there one day. If your dream is to eat at a restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, you need to dream bigger. Look, I I like the fact that Rusev is getting television time. You know... He had to be frustrated as all hell sitting at home for months doing nothing. So good for him. He has found a spot on TV. I don't want to sound ungrateful for all those times I said, hey, where's Rusev? Why are they not doing anything with Rusev? And then when they do, I complain about it. I like that they're using him, but this is what they give us, really? This is their great idea for him? And I'm supposed to just like it? Why, exactly? Please explain. It's shit. And the quicker the storyline ends with him and Lana back together, the better off the both of them will be. Rusev said he knew where the restaurant was. He recognized it. He was going to go pay them a visit in person. Maybe he wanted some of their famous uh, Bulgarian beef stew. I was going to say their uh, beef goulash, but that's uh, a Hungarian dish, not Bulgarian. Crowd was giving Jerry Lawler the what treatment. And Rusev shut that shit down, or he tried to. By reminding people that Lawler is a Hall of Famer. Show some respect, he said. The man is a Hall of Famer. Another reason to like Rusev. Those chants are a blight on the product. They make these shows that much worse. And they clearly got to Lawler because he was stammering and stuttering over his words throughout this entire segment. Like he lost his train of thought. He didn't know what to say. And Lawler, I mean, look, this guy's one of the best talkers uh, probably in the history of the business. More so probably when he's cutting promos, not when he's trying to remember all this scripted, uh, nonsensical dialogue they give him. But he was stuttering and stammering and was losing his train of thought. He was probably thrown off by all the the what chants. I wish more people would stand up to these fools and call them out like Rusev did. What? 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 You know who chants what over and over again? People who have a hearing problem. Go see an audiologist and get your fucking hearing checked. Rusev found them later at the restaurant. He attacked Lashley. He was pulled off of him by a bunch of rent cops If you're going to do an angle like this, I mean, come on. At least go all the way with it. Do, it. do it up like Stone Cold Booker T supermarket style. Have them brawl into the kitchen. But they pussed out. They didn't do that. This was lame, 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 lame. Rusev has uh, since been released from custody. I got excited there for a second when I heard he was released. I actually felt happy for him. And then it was released from custody. I said, ah, I see. And uh, now they're promoting a King's Court segment with Rusev and Lana on Raw tomorrow night, which they are calling the Divorce Court edition of the King's Court. As if Halloween wasn't scary enough this week. AOP did a backstage interview saying that Monday Night Raw signed the two of them to keep them away from SmackDown. So basically, SmackDown is to Raw what AEW is to WWE. We'll just throw a bunch of money at people. Like Mike Kanellis, not to actually do anything with them, but just to keep them away from the other guys. Got it. Got it. 
We have Paul Heyman on the Tron, who I guess is not exclusive to the SmackDown brand as an on-air character like his client is. He was cutting a promo on Rey Mysterio in the ring, hyping up the match between Lesnar and Cain Velasquez, and uh, the heartwarming new children's book, Sweet Saudi Money 4, The Lion Goes Roar. Uh, Shelton Benjamin came out, a new addition to the Raw roster. He cannot believe that all it takes to get a title match around here these days is apparently just to go ahead and bully around Rey Mysterio. So he started pushing Ray around. He said, maybe I'll get a title shot. <laughs> Here, I'll push you again. Maybe I'll get maybe that'll get me an intercontinental title match. Or a US title match. Ray's still got his arm in his sling. He goes, Not now, not now. I'm not I'm not healed up yet. He's got his arm still from the uh from the attack by Brock. And Shelton also points out that much like Velasquez is family to Ray Mysterio, Brock Lesnar is family to him. He helped train Brock Lesnar, which is true. They roomed together at the University of Minnesota. This brought out Kane, the uh, the bald MMA one, not the bald wrestling one, who took down Shelton. He laid in some some punches that would make Shane McMahon proud. The, uh, the concept, I thought, of the angle was fine. They were trying to uh, give somebody, feed somebody to Velasquez to make Velasquez look all big and tough. The crowd did not give two shits about Velasquez when he came out. They did not care. Crickets is what he, he should be the new spokesperson for Cricket Wireless, getting reactions like that. He's supposed to be this big name from UFC. He doesn't come off as that big of a deal. You know, they brought in other celebrities over the years, Mike Tyson, even Floyd Mayweather. Those are big names. They came up like a big deal to the, to the general audience. These guys, Tyson Fury... Cain Velasquez, lukewarm reactions when they come out. Now, in Saudi Arabia, they may get huge reactions. But I've not been impressed by the reactions these guys have been getting in the different cities they've showed uh, showed up in for WWE television these last few weeks. We got highlights of The Undertaker in his gear, riding a WWE float at a parade in Saudi Arabia. Words that I never thought I would speak. But here we are. Seth Rollins decided to give the young kid, Humberto Carrillo, one of the new additions to the Raw roster, a chance to shine in his very first match on Monday Night Raw. Non-title, of course. So it was Seth Rollins against Carrillo. And I like it when we get matches like this because they're matches we've never seen before, which I'm dying for matches that we've never seen before. So check. Okay, that that check the box there. And I've said for years that there's no reason that some of these 205 Live guys should not be able to hang with the big boys on Raw and SmackDown. And I think guys like Ali and Buddy Murphy have proven that. This is not going to be... This This will not end up being some kind of a career-defining match for this kid. In fact, it'll probably be forgotten in two weeks. See Buddy Murphy and his matches with uh, Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan on SmackDown as Exhibit A and B. Then they follow that up by doing absolutely nothing with him. But for one night, Carrillo got a chance to show the world what he can do, and it's too bad the crowd didn't seem to care much, but, you know, he's the new guy. You've got you've to condition them. They've probably, mo- I'm willing to bet most people in that audience have never even seen him before. So you can't expect that everybody is going to know who he is and cares. But going out there and putting on performances like he did on Monday, that's the way, I think, for someone like him to win the crowd over. you got to go out there and wow them. You've got to go out there and just do things that nobody else is doing and and that's i think how he'll 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 get over so he did what he could and at the end of the day Rollins is not Triple H 
You know, it's, he, he's not Triple H with Takamichi Noku or Bret Hart with the one, two, three kid. Those people cared about those guys. They saw them as a big deal. So like Bret is the champion giving the kid the rub that night on Raw, that meant something. Rollins is not as big of a deal as they make him out to be. In fact, the fans were chanting Wyatt at him in the opening minutes of the match. But that's not Carrillo's fault. Rollins won. He shook the kid's hand when the match was over. And some of the fans booed the handshake. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, this did not get over the way that they had hoped and the way that they expected that it would. And part of it is that after burning down the Firefly Funhouse the week before, Rollins just is not very well liked at the moment. And so I think that hurt the match. We were also told that Bray had rebuilt the Firefly Funhouse and it would return Friday night on SmackDown. So he burned the Funhouse down and it was right back the next week. Even inanimate objects now no-sell their injuries and are back on WWE television the very next week. I like the Funhouse, but what the hell was the point of burning it down if you were just going to bring it back a week later? With with those kinds of uh, home-building skills, Bray would be better off working with Habitat for Humanity, not WWE. After uh, thinking that this was to be a six-man tag in the main event with the OC against the Street Profits and a partner that they claimed to have found who had a history with AJ Styles, it ended up being a regular tag team match with AJ Styles at ringside. Now, maybe it always was meant to be that way, and I just misread it, but I certainly wasn't the only one who thought this was going to be a six-man tag. Uh, This was the Street Profits' in-ring debut on Raw after months of hokey backstage hit-or-miss comedy. They finally got to mix it up in the ring. They inexplicably held off on the third-man reveal until the end of the match, until it was almost over, and Styles just kept interfering and kept interfering. Out comes Kevin Owens. To hit a stunner on AJ Styles in the aisleway, he retreated to the back. If the Street Profits had a partner, why did he wait until the very end to come? Eh, whatever. Uh, just to get the pop, I guess. Just to get the pop of Owens coming out as a surprise at the end and, and hitting the stunner. Uh, we got to see a Montez Ford frog splash, which is always a thing of beauty in NXT. It was one of my favorite things. So at least we ended on a happy note. They did pick up the win. Uh, As they were celebrating their win in the crowd, the show ended with Montez Ford grabbing some woman's baby out of her hands and dancing with it. And the baby had on a Hulkamania shirt and a feather boa and a big smile on its face. That baby looked like it was having the time of its life. The mom, I noticed, was wearing, because I have to look at the mom, the mom was wearing a shirt that said, I did it for the rock, which I thought was funny. Montez Ford and Dancing Hulk Baby was a nice way to end the show. Paul Heyman is said to be a big fan of the Street Profits. He's said to be a big fan of Buddy Murphy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He was also a big fan of Cedric Alexander. And we see how that turned out. So that doesn't mean much when you know who is still really the one running the show. But if they can build around a core group of guys like Drew McIntyre, Alistair Black, Andrade, Buddy Murphy, uh, guys like Carrillo, who I think could be as good as somebody like Phoenix. And Phoenix is maybe one of the best in wrestling. The things that guy does in the ring are just unbelievable. The things that Phoenix can do. I think Carrillo could be somebody like a Phoenix. And he's very young. What is he, 22? He reminds me a lot of Phoenix. They've got a diamond in the rough, I think, with this kid. The things he can do, he could be that same guy for WWE. So if they can come up with compelling stories and build around people like that, build around names like that on Monday Night Raw, then I think things might possibly start to make a turn for the better. They're never going to be all that great. These shows are never... It's just the three-hour format is a killer. They can't write a three-hour television show every week. They just don't. They, they, it's, they are demonstrably unable to keep people's interest for a full three hours on Monday nights. And I said it when they went three hours in 2012. This is going to kill the show. And it has been nothing but a steady decline in viewership ever since and a steady decline in quality of the shows. There is no need for this show to be three hours on Monday. I know why they do it. It's a USA thing. I get it. Their hands are tied. And it's unfortunate they don't have the ability to write a compelling three-hour show. It's different than a pay-per-view. You know, when you have a pay-per-view event, those could be three or four hours long, five hours long. And believe me, the five- and six-hour WrestleManias are hardly compelling shows either. But when you have a pay-per-view, there's an expectation that everything is built to this. It's all about in-ring action. Less promos and, and skits and interviews. So you go into it, and you can have a compelling three-hour pay-per-view because it's all built around just the matches. But now you've got a three-hour show that's built around matches and promos and skits and tons and tons and tons of commercial breaks that just bring the show to a crawl. I don't think there's anything they can do about that. I really don't. I don't think that there's anything Paul Heyman or anybody, there's no magic touch that they can bring to the show to change that. All they can do is just try to build around a core group of guys, put together some interesting stories and hope that you can keep people's interest for two or two and a half hours maybe. Out of the three. I think that's all they can do. But you throw those guys on the show, you throw an Aleister Black and a Drew McIntyre and a Street Profits and a Carrillo and all those guys on this show without, you know, with with poor stories, or if they're out there reciting dialogue that doesn't fit them, doesn't fit their personalities, doesn't fit the way they would speak in real life, then it's not going to matter. The Street Profits are naturally charismatic. They would do well without having cringy lines fed to them all the time. SmackDown Friday night was in Kansas City, Missouri. Twitter poll, over 3,000 votes, 30% thumbs up, 70% thumbs down. This was a bland, uninspired show that not even Brock Lesnar murdering people could save. Although that was the highlight of the show. This was all about hyping up sweet Saudi money. Nothing else even mattered. We had a Miz TV segment with Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair... And all the members of their respective teams from the SmackDown roster, the Raw guys, were all missing. Chad Gable 
was out there dressed like something out of fucking Space Jam. What a what a travesty. You know, and I read the interview that he gave to the Sports Illustrated reporter. He was talking about how he had to come to realize, it took him a while to realize, that WWE is not just a wrestling company. It's not a wrestling company. It's an entertainment company. We have to entertain. Oh, this is very entertaining. Please, continue. Please continue to entertain me with this Chad Gable stuff that you're doing. But he had to realize it's an entertainment company. He said he was pitching ideas left and right for months to Vince McMahon, knocking on his door, going into his office, coming up with pitch after pitch after pitch. Because they weren't doing anything with him. They split him up from Jason Jordan, which he hated. He loved teaming with Jason Jordan. When they split their team up, he knew he was dead in the water. You know, the team with him and Shelton, which was kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the backup team. That didn't last for very long. So he's pitching ideas left and right to Vince McMahon. They never accepted any of his ideas. But it showed that he had drive. You know, I guess he felt, well, finally... It finally broke through, and it showed them that I want to be a a, a team player. This is their idea that they came up with for him. I would love to know what some of those ideas were that Gable came up with, just, just to compare. Maybe he came up with stuff that's worse. I find that very hard to believe. You know some of those ideas he must have come up with were better than this shit. But this is what they came up with for him. He is out there in this promo talking about how I accept who I am, and I'm proud of who I am. You accept who you are. What are you? Are you coming out of the closet? This is not that deep, dude. You're five foot eight. They make it sound like this is some sort of great social commentary. The only people who ever said anything about this man's height were in WWE. And now he totes the company line in these interviews like a good little soldier. You know what? Whatever he has to do. Whatever he has to do, I guess, to get TV time. I'm happy he's at least getting that. But watching him out there dressed like a Harlem Globetrotter, it it hurt my heart. It hurt my heart to see that. He's got terrible gear. He's got an even more terrible name, which I refuse to say. But he can work. This guy's an Olympian. He can wrestle. And he's got a personality. We just haven't had a chance to really see it yet. So I think he can get this stupid gimmick over. I do, but if he gets it over, it's going to be in spite of Vince McMahon, not because of him. And if he doesn't, and they get bored with him after a few weeks, well, you know, at least the guy has options outside the company if he ever wants to pursue them. So they set up a main event of Roman Reigns, Chad Gable, and Mustafa Ali against King Corbin, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Cesaro. Why Cesaro, you might ask? He's not on Team Flair. Well, because the Raw guys were all unavailable. And, of course, they needed somebody to eat the pin. (laughs) As soon as he came out, I knew he was eating the pin in that match. So with Xavier Woods on the shelf with a torn Achilles, Kofi Kingston took his place. He tagged with Big E in a losing effort to Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. Not only did New Day lose, it was Kofi Kingston. Former WWE champion Kofi Kingston who took the losing fall from Dolph Ziggler. And that was striking because of how how few times that we have seen Kofi lose on TV since he won that championship at WrestleMania. They actually did a very good job of protecting him, even in tag team matches. Think back. Very few times on television did Kofi Kingston even lose a tag team match. And so now to see him here getting rolled up and pinned in some random match by Dolph Ziggler, I mean, you talk about... (laughs) 
from the penthouse back down to the outhouse. Holy shit. Now what I want to do here is I want to play this uh, a portion of this promo that you may not have heard, you may not have seen, with New Day that aired on YouTube. After the show, Kayla Braxton, she found Kofi and Big E. They were licking their wounds. They were very down on their luck. She found them in the hallway. She went over to interview them. It was really Big E's words that stood out to me because if you listen to him and you'll hear him in this clip, you know, Big E has a certain way of speaking when he's out there cutting promos. He's just the big, funny, goofy guy. And you listen to Big E here and he's given some straight talk about what's going on. No funny business. No ha-ha. Just straight talk from him on what's been going on right now with the New Day, and I thought this was really good. WWE Crown Jewel is less than a week away, so how do you plan on bouncing back in order to prove that you are the best tag team in WWE? We gotta, we gotta find a spark. Whatever it is that's missing right now, we gotta find. Because, like Co said, it wasn't that long ago. Feels like just a week ago, all of us were draped in gold. All of us were doing our thing, but this is not us, man. After five years of doing what we've been doing, five years of being together, uh, five years of, of, of breaking records that have stood for 20 years, five years, Kofi being world champion of having this crowning moment, and now look at us. We got X on the shelf for, for who knows how long. You and me, man, this, this, this is not the path, but Crown Jewel is an opportunity to find a spark. Whatever it is that's missing, whatever it is that, that we're not doing right now, that we need to be doing, we're going to find it at Crown Jewel. We're going to find it soon, I'll tell you that. I know what's missing. Come over to the dark side, boys. I think that's just the spark that you need. Bray Wyatt rebuilt the Firefly Funhouse in just one week. And we also got the return of Ramblin' Rabbit back from the dead, although not for very long. By the end of the episode here, Mercy the Buzzard ate him again. And that was it. It looks like they may be running out of ideas for these. They are indeed teasing a Daniel Bryan, Shinsuke Nakamura program for the Intercontinental Championship, which I think is great. Sami Zayn tried to recruit Bryan. He gave him the choice between that or going back to the Yes movement. Bryan left without making a choice. Nakamura was all over the show. He was in the opening segment. He was in this segment. He was in the main event. Monday Night Raw's Rey Mysterio showed up on SmackDown with Cain Velasquez for a face-to-face with Brock Lesnar. Lesnar and Paul Heyman, instead of coming down to the ring, they showed up on the Titantron. And when the camera panned out, we saw Eddie's son Dominic on the ground having been beaten up again by Brock Lesnar. Ray and Kane, they headed to the back. We then got a scene in the back with a medic checking on Dominic, Ray, Cain Velasquez. They're, they're very concerned. They're hovering around. And the medic kept asking them to give him space. Give me some space. I need some space. He said this over and over and over to the point where if it were me, he would have been the one in need of a medic. Give me some space. I need some space. You know, the U.S. is sending astronauts back to the moon in two years. This guy's not a -a make-a-wish kid, but I hope he gets his wish. And they strap a rocket to his back and they send him to the moon. That way he'll have all the space he needs. Brock showed up. And hit Ray and Kane with a trash can. Then he f 5 Mysterio into the wall. So hard that Ray's foot put a hole in the wall. <laughs> now this wasn't Kevin Nash lawn darting him into the side of that trailer on Nitro. But this was still pretty funny. Uh, he then gave Velasquez an F5 onto poor Dominic who was laid out on this table. They both fell to the floor. Bodies everywhere. Later on, Velasquez cut a promo in the back on Brock inexplicably in all Spanish, even though he speaks perfect English. 
I somehow doubt that in his spare time, Brock is sitting around with Rosetta Stone studying up on his Espanol. So why Kane was shouting stuff in Spanish, I have no idea. I, I, I guess that's what happens when he gets really angry or something. I, I don't know. So what he said, I have no idea. Main event had a fun finish with Cesaro dodging a spear from Roman Reigns and hitting the pop-up uppercut for a near fall. He went for the neutralizer. Reigns backdropped his way out of it. Cesaro lands on his feet, eats a Superman punch, eats a spear. Roman tags in Ali, hits the 450, picks up the win for Team Hogan. Uh, Later on during the WWE backstage show, while Roman was being interviewed, he was attacked by King Corbin, which sets up the main event for next week's show. Whatever the number that this show does this week, you can just throw it out the window uh, since they got bumped to FS1 because of the World Series. But if these are the kinds of shows that they're going to be putting on Fox, they're going to end up on FS1 for good long before their five-year deal is up. Two quick reminders for you guys. You can get a free audiobook right now on this podcast just by using our link to sign up for a 30-day trial of the Audible service at audibletrial.com slash solomonster. Pick one free audiobook of your choice, whatever it may be. You get to keep it no matter what, even if you cancel the trial before the 30 days are up. All you got to do is sign up, audibletrial.com slash solomonster. Get yourself a free wrestling book, non-wrestling book, whatever book you want. It belongs to you no matter what. And for those who have asked, yes, you can still use my lift code. It costs you nothing. You can get money off your first ride when you set up a new account with Lyft, if not a free ride. Just use the code SOLOMONSTER when you sign up for a Lyft account. The best wrestling night of the week continues to be Wednesdays, and I thought NXT absolutely knocked it out of the park this week with an excellent main event, uh, coupled with a few other good matches and a a shock turn at the end of the show. Uh, AEW had a strong show too, but I thought this was a, a big win for NXT this week. Ratings-wise, both shows continue to slide. This is not the direction that you want to see your shows going in. If you're WWE, if you're AEW, and yeah, we could talk about demos and competition and this and that, but the the trend is obvious. I mean, you could talk about whatever you want. You know, they were up against Game 1 of the World Series, which had almost 12 million viewers, so I'm sure baseball took a chunk out of both shows. Uh, AEW apparently got killed in the Houston market, which is no surprise with the Astros in the World Series. AEW has fallen every week since its debut. They started at 1.4 million. That was the curiosity number. Then they dropped to 1.018 million. Dropped ever so slightly then to 1.014. And this week, 969,000. So their first week under a million viewers. We can talk about competition. At the end of the day, they went down. They did not go up. NXT's pattern is even more troubling. When they first debuted on USA, which was two weeks before this whole head-to-head thing started, they were at over 1.1 million in week one. Then a million in week two. They have not sniffed a million since then. Week three, first head-to-head battle, October 2nd, I believe it was. Right? 891,000. That was clearly the AEW effect. Every week since, they've been down 790,000, down to 712,000, now down to 698,000. For a show that I thought was absolutely fantastic. 
and it hurt it hurts my soul that an NXT like that does 698,000 viewers plus whatever they did on the network. Uh I'm not sure it's really all that much, but yes there is a a, a portion of people who uh, are not being counted in that who watch on the network. I don't think it's probably a great number, but there is a, a certain number there. But NXT, an NXT episode like the one we saw on Wednesday, or in my case, Thursday, actually Friday. I didn't see it until Friday this week. But yet a show like Raw, and I'm speaking more like in the abstract here, not necessarily Raw from this past Monday, but a show like Raw ends up being good for at least 2.2 million viewers. Even when Raw is absolutely at its most horrendous, you know the show is good for at least 2.1 or 2.2 million viewers. That 2.2 million people watch that and NXT is watched by 698,000, that hurts my soul. It really does. As a wrestling fan, my my wrestling soul. (laughs) Let's not get too carried away here. But it really does. And this was one of those weeks where I regretted not watching NXT live because I would have, I think I would have appreciated that Finn Balor turn at the end a hell of a lot more than I did because it was, I mean, it was spoiled for me that night. I mean, in the chat, as I'm, you know, streaming and talking about AEW, people are going off on Finn Balor and the heel turn. And so it was immediately ruined for me. So it did not have the impact on me that I'm sure it had on a lot of other people. I knew it was happening going in when I finally got around to watching the show. And in fact, I was watching the show with that in mind, just waiting for it, looking for it. So it had no shock value for me at all. Uh, but I still thought it was a very uh, well-done angle that I'm sure surprised a lot of people who are watching it live. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's just start with AEW here. I love the brawl uh, with the inner circle against... Co- for those who were wondering what my favorite part of Dynamite was, and I'm not going to review it here because you can get my review on YouTube. I review the entire show every Wednesday, so you can get it there or it's on the feed. But I love the brawl with the inner circle against Cody and Dustin and MJF and DDP up on the mezzanine level. Uh, Jericho waving tickets in their faces and crying, I have tickets, I have tickets. Uh, there was a bit that we didn't get to see on TV, but a fan filmed it on their phone and posted it on Twitter. And this was one of the best parts of the whole thing. So it's kind of a shame that it didn't air. Uh, in the middle of this giant brawl on the mezzanine level, Santana walks up to one of the Pittsburgh police officers, uh, just standing there with his back turned, holding, you know, holding court to make sure the crowd is kept at bay. And Santana comes up to this cop and he's in pain. He's been beaten up by the baby faces. 
and he starts yelling at the cop, help me, goddammit, that's your job. He's like, help me. Uh, that was awesome. That cop didn't seem to be too thrilled about it, but I loved it. Uh, I thought that was great. Again, you can hear the full review uh, of Dynamite, uh, as you can every week, every Wednesday night. It's up on YouTube after it airs live. When Dynamite goes off the air, I go live on YouTube. And I stream to the channel. We got the chat going. We got some phone calls. It's a grand old time. Jake Hager. Jake Hager was one member of the inner circle who was MIA from the show last Wednesday because he was in training getting ready to fight at the Bellator show on Friday. He fought Anthony Garrett in a fight that was stopped after he kneed his opponent in the groin. And when he could not get back up, they called the fight off and they ruled it a no contest. So Hager now ends up with an MMA record of two wins, no losses, and one no contest. I mean, he really nailed this dude in the balls, and I'm, I'm sure it was an accident, obviously. But he totally needs to incorporate this now into his character on TV. He's already a heel. So him kneeing people in the balls, I think, could totally work and get good heat. They interviewed his uh, inner circle stablemates earlier in the night, pre-fight, without Chris Jericho. Jericho was not there. But Sammy Guevara was there. Santana was there. Ortiz was there. They interviewed them. This came off as so goofy. <laughs> this was just, this was, I'm sorry. Good for them getting exposure. This was so goofy. So this Wednesday, they're in Charleston, West Virginia. The Rock and Roll Express will be there to present either the Lucha Bros or SCU. With the new AEW Tag Team Belts, we are going to crown new Tag Team Champions. The finals of the tournament takes place this Wednesday. Uh, Rick and Morty apparently are all elite I don't know what that means. I know Rick and Morty is a cartoon. It's, I guess, a play off of, uh, what, the, the Michael J. Fox and uh, Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future, I guess. We'll have to wait and see what that means now that they're all elite. I don't watch the cartoon, so I really couldn't care less. Uh, but perhaps some of you may feel differently. NXT. I love this NXT show. I really did. Rhea Ripley. Opened the show with a win over Bianca Belair. The first meeting between these two. Hopefully not the last. Uh, this was really good. I enjoyed this. These are these two women, I think, are two of the shining beacons of that women's division into the future. And you can throw Io Shirai in there. They've got, they really are stockpiled right now with a lot of great female talent down there. Some of which, look, there's still women that haven't even debuted on television yet that they have under contract. So the women's division, as far as the future... Uh, is looking very bright, and it's a lot of that has to do between these two women here. Tony Storm, don't forget her either. So Rhea got the win here uh, over Bianca. Io Shirai did interfere. She ran down. She attacked Rhea, tried to cost her the match. Rhea kicked out when Bianca went for the pin. She ended up winning with the, uh, the Riptide. Matt Riddle beat Cameron Grimes using his Bro Derek move. Uh, for the win. This was one hell of a five-minute sprint. This this match only went about five and a half minutes. Uh, but it was a sprint from start to finish. This was the best Cameron Grimes match yet. And even better, I thought, than the breakout tournament match he had against Jordan Miles. And I was also thinking... I, I was thinking this the other day when I'm watching this. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's very odd that Jordan Miles is the one who won the breakout tournament. Right, He won the breakout tournament, he won the contract to meet Adam Cole for an NXT championship match of you know whatever date and time he chose, and they already blew that match off. But he has not been seen 
since winning the tournament and then going on to lose to Adam Cole. Instead, it's Cameron Grimes, who has been on television every week, and he was the runner-up. It's kind of like when when some of these people back in the day would win tough enough, and it was like, oh, that's not the person they really wanted to win. But then the runners-up end up getting more television time, or they end up getting signed to a long-term contract. It kind of feels that way here. You know, like, in this case, this wasn't a real competition. They obviously wanted Miles to win, and he, and he did. But again, Grimes was the runner-up, and he's been getting TV time every week on this show. And after what happened this weekend, it may continue to be that way. In case you missed it, Jordan Miles, the former ACH, for those wondering who the hell Jordan Miles is, that is the name they gave to ACH when he signed with WWE many months ago. He absolutely ripped into the company on Twitter early this morning for the new t-shirt design that they made for him on WWE Shop, which I believe has been up for a little while. He just hasn't commented on it publicly until now. I don't think it's something that just came out in the last day or two. But the shirt was just a black shirt, as most wrestling shirts are. I mean, most of the wrestling shirts I have are black shirts, which I like black shirts, but in the summertime, not so much. But it was a black shirt with what appeared to be a smiling mouth, with the words Jordan Miles written inside of it in white. Mimicking teeth, I guess. That was the whole point. Uh, Because that's Jordan's gimmick. He smiles a lot, and we all know how super successful that was for Apollo Crews. Well, I didn't realize uh, the connotation at first, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I just thought that he was ripping into an absolutely lazy crappy t-shirt design which is what it is in fact there are a lot of lazy uninspired t-shirt designs on wwe shop the best designs that i've seen from them recently were actually for kane velasquez and he hasn't even wrestled a single match yet for this company he's already got two shirts on wwe shop and i think they're pretty cool one of them's got a deer skull on it the other one has a snake wrapped around i think a hawk uh with the with the tagline don't cross my family me familia They put more effort into the shirts for this guy than they do most of their own talent. But what Jordan Miles saw, and what a lot of people saw, the first thing they saw, upon looking at the shirt, and I absolutely see what they're talking about now, is a racist t-shirt design that looks a lot like uh, blackface, or something that you would see in the days of those old uh, minstrel shows, and Amos and Andy and all that. He was not happy about it. At all. He posted a photo of the shirt. He says they'll regret making this. He posted a whole series of angry tweets. I will keep posting this until my voice is heard. I'm not sorry for anything I say or do. Representation is important. If this is Vince McMahon and Triple H's vision of me, then this is a slap in the face to every African American performer, fan, and supporter. And a fan asked him, you know, did they even try with this design? He said, not at all. I was told that it was supposed to be Rolling Stones. GTFOH, get the fuck out of here, we all know what that means. If they honestly thought that that design was a play on the Rolling Stones, then I'm willing to bet that every member of that team that designed this thing is probably named Chad, Logan, or Lucas. That would be my guess. Somebody asked him, why did they even bother? He said, because they are blind 
and stuck in their ways. They don't see the disrespect in producing a design that screams racism against African Americans. They have been blinded for years, and they need a reprogramming because they are ignorant. Another person said, I'm not sure they are capable of regret. Miles said, they will learn regret from this, or they will learn to regret this. I promise you, this shirt is what's wrong with America and the wrestling industry. MVP chimed in. He told Miles to call him. Miles said, I don't have your phone number, brother. And uh, MVP told him to DM him. So this was a huge faux pas by their design team. The, you know, the racist connotation of the shirt, the racist nature of the shirt is embarrassing enough. But how such a shitty looking shirt can be approved and make it onto their website, to me, is just as big of a mystery. This shirt has since been pulled because of all the pressure, because they realized they'd done gone and fucked up. So they pulled the shirt. They have replaced it with a less racist, but almost equally as lazy, crappy t-shirt design. In a in a cartoon font, they have his name on it now, Jordan Miles, looking like the open to a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon. To me, that tells you all you need to know about any plans they may have in store for this guy. <laughs> and after this episode, uh, what we saw you know, play out on social media this morning... I'm not sure when we're even going to see him again on TV. And, you know, I, I get that it's a lot of people's dream to one day work for WWE because they're the biggest company in the world and because a lot of these guys and girls, they grew up watching WWE. So they want to they wanna be a WWE superstar. They want to wrestle in a WWE ring and they want to go to WrestleMania and they want to be in the Royal Rumble and, and, and wrestle in Madison Square Garden and all these probably bucket list items that they have that they feel they could only achieve in WWE. You can make the most money in WWE. So that's what they aspire for. But a guy like ACH is going nowhere in this company, other than ending up at some point, maybe, on the 205 Live roster. That's where he's headed. So I get why he signed, but I'm not sure that was the best career move for him. And now after this, you know, WWE has to be very careful. With what they do. I know they don't like it when people speak out of turn. The last time Leo Rush, you know, went public with complaints about the company. He was taken off television for five months. But they need to be called out on stuff like this. So I say good on him for standing up for himself. I mean, that that's his name on the shirt. It's his work name, but that's his name. I can see why he would be bothered by it. I can see why he would be offended by it. And good for him for speaking up, even if it may end up being detrimental to his career. Tyler Bate was in the crowd at ringside for the match between Riddle and Grimes. Grimes lost, and he left the ring, and he started being very disrespectful to Tyler Bate at ringside, and so Bate punched him in the face. And the two of them are going to be having a match this Wednesday. More Tyler Bate on NXT television can never be a bad thing. His match with Walter at that last uh, UK TakeOver show... I think is still possibly the best WWE match on any brand of any kind all year. And I would say that Io Shirai match with Candice LeRae at that uh, TakeOver Toronto show may well have been the best women's match in the entire company all year. Both of them being NXT TakeOver matches. One from NXT proper and the other from NXT UK. To me, it's either the Io Candice match or the Becky Lynch-Sasha Banks match at Hell in a Cell, which I thought was excellent. It's it's one of those two, as far as in the running for best uh, WWE women's match of the year. Uh, <laughs> Becky and Sasha being the only redeeming thing about that Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh, 
Isaiah Swerve Scott, he took the place of the injured Kushida, teaming with Brizongo against the Forgotten Sons of Anarchy. I don't much care for anything the Forgotten Sons do. They do nothing for me. But this was a nice showcase for Scott. He even picked up the win for his team. If the Forgotten Sons ever get called up, uh, they're as dead as sanity was when they got called up to SmackDown. It ain't going to end well for these guys. They brought out Leo Rush to do commentary on an Angel Garza win over Jack Gallagher. For a guy who's as good of a talker as Leo Rush is, he sounded very flustered at times when Maronalo would ask him a question. Uh, Garza picked up the win. They're obviously building him up for an eventual championship match. Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai, they beat Marina Shafir and Jessamine Duke to earn a shot at the WWE Women's Tag Team titles this week on NXT. For the first time, the titles will be defended at full sale. That means a homecoming for Asuka and a homecoming for Kairi Sane. They popped up on the screen. Conveniently, they had a promo ready to cut on Tegan and Dakota. Wow, that was awfully convenient. Maybe, maybe they did a deal where... They knew it was either going to be Tegan and Dakota or it was going to be the Horsewomen. So maybe they cut a promo on both teams. It's kind of like they make shirts for both teams in the World Series, not knowing who's going to win. And then whoever wins, they send the other batch of shirts to like a third world country. Maybe that's what was going on here. But I thought, boy, that's awfully convenient that they have a pro- promo already all queued up for them on uh, on Tegan and Dakota. Uh, their promo was wonderfully heelish. I cannot wait to see Asuka back in a ring at full sail. Hopefully we can make this a regular occurrence. Kyrie, meanwhile, is going to have herself a very busy week. First, she faces Becky Lynch in a singles match on Raw Monday night. And then she will defend the tag team titles with Asuka here against Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai on Wednesday. I think Becky and Kyrie, that, that ought to be a good match too. I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I came from a low-income family that was, that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. And then we had the triple threat match. In the main event for the NXT North American Championship, Roderick Strong defending against both Keith Lee. Was it uh, Keith Lee? Whoop, whoop. Is that what the fans say? Keith Lee? Whoop, whoop. Is that, is that what they do? Is that the chant? Anyway, Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic. I thought this was just an outstanding match. The match of the, the match of the night, the match of the week. I loved it when they took out Roddy. It was just the two big guys in there. And the fans lost their minds. Dijakovic hit a Fosbury flop to the floor, hit Roderick Strong, even though he was aiming for Keith Lee. Lee then hits a Tope Con Hero over the top rope, takes out Dijakovic. There was an avalanche sit-out powerbomb by Lee, so he powerbombs this guy from the top rope. And as soon as they land, there's Roderick Strong like a bat out of hell, out of nowhere, boot to Lee's face, and he pins Keith Lee to retain his championship. 
A wild finish to a crazy match. All the members of the Undisputed Era then ganged up on Keith Lee until Tommaso Ciampa walked out. Johnny Gargano walked out. And then out came Finn Balor. And as he was taking off his jacket, you know, Gargano was standing right, just kind of to the side, but right behind Finn Balor. Balor is looking straight ahead. And he connects with a picture-perfect Pele kick right to the top of Gargano's head. People are shocked. Undisputed Era immediately gangs up on Tommaso Ciampa. Mauro Ranallo is losing his mind on commentary. Outside the ring, Gargano, he's leaned up against the guardrail. Balor sprints towards him. He connects with a a stiff-looking shotgun dropkick. Knocks uh, Gargano backwards over the barricade. The barricade falls over. They've got a bunch of uh, planted wrestlers sitting there who acted like a, a bomb went off. They all went down. Balor then drags Gargano over to the ramp. He hits the bloody Sunday, drops him right down on top of his head, spikes him on the steel ramp. Finn Balor with a shocking heel turn. And really, when was the last time we saw one of those, you know, in uh, WWE? There may have been one in the last year or so. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't remember any that come to mind that really made a huge impression on me. I guess maybe Sasha? Maybe you say Sasha Banks came back, she turned heel. Yeah, you know what? I'll throw that in there. That just happened like a month and a half ago. But I just feel like we, we you know, before the Sasha one and the Balor one here, it's been a while since we've had a real good, you know, heel turn, where somebody turned heel and went nuts on somebody. I think back to maybe Becky at SummerSlam last year, although the crowd didn't take it as a heel turn. You know, even here, when he spiked Gargano on the ramp, people were chanting, I think they were chanting, yes. And I kind of, I thought to myself, man, you know, I I do miss those days where we got a heel turn and the people actually booed the person turning heel. Now everybody's got to be smart. They've got to chant, oh, wow, yes, yes, yes. You know, because, you know, they're chanting for good television. They're not invested in these characters. They look at it as a television show. Oh, that's great TV. This is such good shit. And they'll chant, yes. They're not really invested in it so much where the babyface being beaten up, you know, they, they take great offense to it. That used to be the case. We don't really get too much of that anymore. But I thought that this was, uh, this was great. I thought that he, yeah, he even busted out the bullet club hand, uh, the, the, the gun signals, uh, on that WWE backstage show that aired after SmackDown Friday night. They got an interview in studio with Finn Balor and he, he teased that he's been in uh, touch with his old friends in the OC. He said, let's just say the Prince is back. And in one week, Finn Balor became more interesting than he has been in a year. And it sets up matches now potentially in NXT against Johnny Gargano. Finn Balor against Johnny Gargano? Sign me up. Finn Balor against Tommaso Ciampa? Potentially maybe even a War Games match next month at TakeOver if they do War Games with the men. Uh, and not the women, or maybe they could do two war games matches, I guess, one with the men, one with the women. They've got the bodies, they've got the people to do both if they want to, and I could envision a men's war games match with the Undisputed Era teaming up with Balor uh, against DIY, Keith Lee, Dijakovic, and Velveteen Dream. If Dream's back is is good enough to go. I'm not sure Velveteen Dream's going to be back so soon. He may not be ready to go uh, by War Games, but that would be the obvious setup to a five-on-five War Games match next month uh, if they wanted to go down that road. Question now is why? Why, Finn, why? Why would he turn heel? What will his reasoning be for the heel turn? 
I would note that it was Johnny Gargano that he went after. He didn't he didn't give the Pele kick to uh, Tommaso Ciampa. He kicked Gargano in the head. And Gargano has kind of been become Mr. NXT. He's the face of NXT. He is what a Sami Zayn used to be. Uh, or you could say even a Finn Balor used to be. Balor spent quite a few uh, quite a few years in NXT, and now Johnny Gargano is is the face of that brand, and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe maybe it's the battle of you know these two guys who one, one case used to represent the brand, and now Johnny Gargano represents the brand, and maybe he uh, you know has some kind of beef with him for some reason. He's got to explain that on television. But that's the question. What is going to be the justification for the heel turn? I'm very curious to see how you know what their explanation is and uh, how they pursue that. But I loved it. And I, I said earlier, I'm bummed uh, that it got spoiled for me in advance because I was watching AEW. And then reviewing AEW, I didn't get to NXT until Friday. Uh, and it's, it's too bad because that would have been a cool thing to see without knowing that it was coming. I would suspect that most people who saw it, it was so sudden. Uh, that it probably took them by surprise. And how often does that happen these days where you have a heel turn that truly shocks you? And this was one of those rare cases. I thought it was well done. Some quick thoughts on episode three of NWA Power. Uh, I thought it was another enjoyable hour. I do think it was the weakest of the three shows so far. I do have one suggestion. I think they need to raise the volume on the announcers. Uh, There were a whole bunch of times during the show, the crowd noise, was overtaking them, and it was actually kind of hard to hear Cornette and Joe Galley, uh, so I think they they probably should just up the, the volume on the announcers if they can. There was an Eddie Kingston promo at the top of the show with uh, Cornette on uh, the Dawsons, after the Dawsons had interfered in the match the week before uh, to attack Eddie Kingston, to attack Homicide, and it was a great line, Kingston, Cornette was trying to say something, and Kingston just goes, look, I love you, Jim, but don't steal my heat. And the Dawsons later came out and they said they'll fight anybody in the back except Kingston and Homicide. Marty Bell beat Crystal Rose with a pedigree, our first time seeing Marty Bell here on TV. I have not seen much of Marty Bell since I last saw her in Impact. I don't even know how long ago that was. Uh, She was fine here. It was a two-minute match, so it's hard to judge if she's any, any better or any worse than the last time I saw her. We got a vignette. For Thunder Rosa making her debut soon, or I, as I shall always remember her, Cobra Moon from Lucha Underground on her way into the NWA. Aaron Stevens was back this time. He was dressed like a pirate. Fans chanted Captain Morgan at him. He was there to show us a trailer, a mock trailer for a new movie that he is in called Tropical Pirates. Coming soon to DVD and VHS only in Romania. After the clip airs, He says, when it comes to acting, I've got more chops than Ric Flair. And he walks off. I don't know if his gimmick is that he's delusional or if he's just being a heel. I'm getting a lot of Damien Sandow vibes from him, which is fine because the comedy stuff worked for him in WWE. Maybe it will here too. It feels a little out of place, but maybe it'll work for him here too. I just didn't think this was as uh, hilarious as, as everybody else thought it was. Caleb Conley made his first NWA Power appearance, beating Dan Parker. Conley left Impact earlier this year. He became a free agent. And so now he is part of the NWA roster. He was, uh, I thought he was impressive here. He won with a springboard moonsault. We got a Tim Storm promo. 
There are few people in wrestling more likable right now than Tim Storm. Tim Storm is more likable than Seth Rollins. Although I don't think that's much of a stretch to, to say that. He he comes off as like your, your humble dad. <laughs> you know, he thanks Nick Aldis for the opportunity that he gave to him to be possibly the NWA World Champion once again. He says he lost the match fair and square between them a few weeks ago. He says, my mama still loves me, Mama Storm, who got a Mama Storm chant. He said now he's got to make a decision. It's gut check time. He's got to make a decision about his career because he can never again challenge for the NWA title. Out comes uh, the, the Stone Cold People's Champion, Eli Drake. Comes out, tries to cheer up Tim Storm and says, look, maybe uh, the 10 pounds of gold isn't in your future. But there's some other titles. There's some other gold that could be. And he said he wanted Tim Storm to be his partner later on tonight against the Dawsons. Storm said that he would think about it. Josephus came out for a public apology to James Storm. Colt Cabana came out imitating James Storm. And he, you know, he had a cowboy hat on and he was drinking beer. He ends up getting powder thrown in his face by Josephus. James Storm comes out. He super kicks Josephus. He goes to do the same thing to Cabana, but Ken Anderson comes down, pulls Cabana out of the ring. Uh, I have no idea what was going on here. None of this really made any sense to me. I don't know why Colt Cabana was out there impersonating James Storm, what the beef is there between them. Uh, this segment for me was a miss. Nick Aldis and Camille had a promo with Joe Galley to discuss the next challenger for the NWA Championship. Aldis is going to wait and see who steps up to the plate. If he has to, he'll look to other promotions for his next challenger. Galley again asks him, how come you will not let Camille speak for herself? Even though earlier in the show, Galley said that he would not ask Aldis about that anymore. He lied. He's just a liar. But again, he puts the mic in front of her, and again, she can speak if she wants to, and she chooses not to. So this uh, storyline here with Camille continues. I actually like the two top storylines they have going right now. The stuff with Camille and all this I, I find kind of interesting. And I think Tim Storm is great in this role. And they're obviously telling some kind of a long-term story with him. He's very likable. He's, you know, he just seems like a guy you want to see him succeed. So I enjoy the top two stories uh, that they have right now going on on the show. Storm did accept Eli Drake's uh, offer to be his tag team partner against the Dawsons. Drake was posted shoulder first in the corner late in the match. He left Storm all by himself, two against one. He tried. He tried. It was too much to overcome. You know, he was he was pretty much up uh, up Dawson's Creek without a paddle, and he got pinned. They continued to beat on him. Eddie Kingston and Homicide finally woke up from their slumber, and they decided to come on out after the Dawson's. <laughs> they they must have fallen asleep in the back. I mean, Eddie Kingston, when he came out at the beginning of the show, he was all fired up. He wanted a piece of the Dawson's. The Dawson's were out here for 10 minutes wrestling. So obviously they, they must have fallen asleep in the back. The bell, maybe when the bell rang for the end of the match, it woke them up. They chased the Dawson's to the back. Nick Aldis walked out to check on Tim Storm in the ring. What a What a fine gentleman he is. We have a fine gentleman as the NWA champion. So that was episode three. I still enjoy it. I find it to be an easy-to-watch hour of pro wrestling. I know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, the the, the studio environment and the lack of focus on the in-ring action. If you're looking for high spots, long matches, great matches, fast-paced stuff, you're not going to find that here. At least not yet. All roads are building to their pay-per-view on December 14. Uh, I think as far as the in-ring is concerned and climaxing some of these stories and feuds, 
Right now, they're in story building mode. They're building characters. They want to get people familiar with who these guys and girls are. Uh, promo work. A number one on this show. It's all about promos. They send you out there. Very little direction. Maybe bullet points. It's unscripted. It's unfiltered. You could tell when you listen to these guys. And I find that to be incredibly refreshing. So they're offering, in that respect, something different than you'll find in any other wrestling promotion on TV right now. But it may not be for everybody. But if you've not, you know, sampled them yet, if all you've done is heard the reviews here on this podcast, episode four is dropping on Tuesday at 6.05 on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. It's easily accessible. Uh, Give it a shot. It may not be for you, but give it a shot. I think if you're looking for an easy-to-watch hour of pro wrestling that's very different than what you would find on Mondays and Fridays, uh, then I think, you know, NWA is going to be a good alternative for you. And I've heard from people who have just given up because of WWE and everything, and they didn't even really like AEW that much, and they think that they're done watching wrestling. I would implore those people before you give up, because there is a lot of wrestling out there right now, a lot of good wrestling. If you are at your wit's end as far as that is concerned, and and that wrestling just doesn't kind of meet your expectations anymore, uh, if you've not sampled the NWA, I would encourage you to give them a shot before you just completely give up altogether. It's an enjoyable watch. It's an easy watch. uh, And it is just different enough from everything else that's on, you know, TNT and USA or Fox uh, that you might actually enjoy it. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCU became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Time for this week's RSPW Rewind, taking us back in the Wayback Machine with some posts from 1995 and 1996. First, about a brand new announcer on the scene in WWE, a man going by the name of Doc Hendricks, who looks awfully familiar to some people. Others aren't so sure. Like this post from Rich Aroni on June 13th. 1995, titled New WWF Commentator. Am I the only one who thinks that this new commentator on WWF looks like Freebird Michael P.S. Hayes? Sam says, yes, you are, Richaroni. In fact, the rest of us here on RSPW know Doc Hendricks to be none other than Jimmy Valiant. (laughs) Frank responds, looks and sounds like Michael Hayes to me, but with a haircut. Kelly then replies, Just this past weekend, I saw an AWF show on a local channel. I think it was called Warriors of Wrestling. And Michael Hayes was talking about the Freebirds reuniting. But it turned out to be only Jimmy Garvin, who is way out of shape. Is there anyone else working two federations right now? 
I remember Randy Savage lost to some independent champion a few years back when he was still a Raw commentator. Could it have been Sabu? Oh, I'm now, I need to know this now. I must know if Randy Savage ever had an independent wrestling match in the mid-90s with Sabu. Please, somebody, somebody uh, do some research and figure out for me. Because I did a quick check and I couldn't find a damn thing. I must know. I assume footage wouldn't exist anyway. But I must know if Randy Savage ever had a match with Sabu. We skip ahead to December 4th, 1996. So this is almost a year and a half later. A post by Devron Grant titled, Is Doc Hendricks Really Michael P.S. Hayes? Again, this was well after he had already debuted on television. Some people still were not sure. He says, I remember seeing him in the WWF for a brief minute during the Hogan era, but I did not remember the voice too well. When I first heard it, I thought everybody was just remarking at the fact that they kind of look alike, but maybe it is him. He just doesn't sound like the kind of guy that I remember Hayes as. Also, I looked at some old issues of The Wrestler and PWI Magazine, and boy, does he look different. Master Hodges responds, Surprisingly, yes. And the guy playing the new Diesel is Jimmy Jam Garvin. He was put on a rack and stretched out to six foot nine. And to top it all off, that one WWF suit that comes out to break up all those fights is Buddy Roberts, who is on the verge of acquiring a majority shareholder position at both Titan and USA Network. So he expects the Freebirds to fly high again. P.S. Does anyone else type these things stoned out of their asses? Master Hodges is hitting the ganja hard in 1996, I see. John Nibak, or Nibaki, says, Yes, it is Michael P.S. Hayes. Most people who work out most of their life, although I doubt he ever did, (laughs) put on a tremendous amount of weight. It is him. Too bad he let Vince McMahon buttfuck him into something far worse than what he was. Don't get me wrong, the Freebirds were the shit back in the day, but the last thing Hayes needed to do is what he is doing now. But, in the fair spirit of things, the guy has to put food on the table, and by the looks of it, a lot of food. Well, that's terrible. That's just me. See, RSPW was Twitter before Twitter was tweeted. Yet another example of it here. December 16th, 1998. One more Doc Hendricks post. Although the title is The Perfect Demise of Michael Cole, so I had to click on this. People were looking to get rid of Cole even then, and this was 98. This was 10 years before he took the seat from Jim Ross on Raw. This person says, At the start of next week's Raw, Doc Hendricks comes to ringside explaining how he is sick and tired of hawking WWF merchandise and how he was one of the great wrestlers of the 80s. He also insists that he be referred to as Michael P.S. Hayes again. Cole makes a snide remark and calls him Doc, and then P.S. commences to give Cole a good old-fashioned Bad Street beatdown, then takes over as the Raw announcer with Jerry Lawler until Jim Ross returns. This was the uh, this was the period after J.R.'s second Bell's Palsy attack, so he, he had just gone on the, on the shelf for a while. Uh, afterwards, he forms Freebirds 2000 and gives the Brood somebody to feud with. So that's the great idea that came from Chum Daddy, pitching some uh, fantasy, some fantasy storyline here for Doc Hendricks. All right, we move, 
We move back to Moore from 1996, specifically August 19, 1996, a post by Jeremy titled Chris Benoit as World Champion. I wasn't feeling good when Benoit was pinned by the Giant in 30 seconds, even though they gave Benoit an excuse, woman holding his jacket and pulling on it. People will remember the Giant chokeslamming him and winning easily. I think Chris Benoit is one of the greatest wrestlers WCW ever had. He can beat bigger guys than him, I believe. He's too good to be cruiserweight champ. Was he ever cruiserweight? I don't think Chris Benoit was ever cruiserweight champion. Right? I mean, he he won the United States title. He had the TV title series with Booker T. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him ever being cruiserweight champion. Anyway, he says he must be U.S. champ or world champ. He's very good champion material. He's also a horseman. I know WCW is pushing him, but I think it's not enough. You see, WCW's world title line is so predictable. Since Hogan arrived, world champions are Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Ric Flair, Macho Man, Ric Flair, Giant, Hulk Hogan. Only four wrestlers are playing with the world title. It's not right. There are many great wrestlers, but they don't even give them a chance to win a title. You see, underdog becomes world champion. That will be good Bear with me here, because I didn't correct the spelling on this one. Underdog becomes world champion. (laughs) I'm trying to make sense of this. That is good and better than Hogan winning his seventh world title. Chris Benoit as world champion, that sounds good. Or U.S. champion. WCW brought many great wrestlers from the older Fed, or the other Fed, and now it's up to them to use them great. Chris Benoit is crippler. And even I think he's a man who can get up from chokeslam. Let's treat him better than ever. He'll pay back for it. Oh yeah, he sure did. He sure did pay people back for that. There was clearly, though, a lot of... And I don't know what what language that was in. I assume that was meant to be English. There was clearly a lot of support for Benoit as champion in RSPW back then. Here's another post here from RAC. RAC says, Benoit is the best, in my opinion, in WCW. He deserves more respect than he gets. They won't even let the guy in war games. Very sad. Ric Flair is my favorite wrestler, and even he told Mark Madden that he thought Benoit is the future. I say the future is now. Give Conan back the U.S. belt and have Benoit destroy him. Benoit is not a cruiserweight. He is the man. Uh Uh-oh. Don't let Flair hear you saying that, or else you'll end up getting a cease and desist. Kelly says, hate to say this, but this sounds an awful lot like the WWF world title picture between April and October of 1992. I'd like to think that Benoit can become WCW's answer to Bret Hart, a dark horse contender for the strap who actually wins the big one. See, I I see these posts from 1996. I don't think Benoit was ready for that spot in 1996. He He was one of the best wrestlers they had for sure, don't get me wrong, but... You know, had they put the title, the world title, on Benoit, it would have killed the NWO dead after a few months. And we never would have had Crow Sting chasing Hollywood Hogan for the championship. I mean, the payoff sucked. But WCW did big business in 96 and 97, building to that match. Benoit, he wasn't much of a talker back then either. He kind of had the whole silent but deadly thing going on for him in the Horseman. I thought that was the right role for him to be in. You know, hanging with the big guys, but not quite at their level just yet, star-wise, star-power-wise. I think it would have been a big mistake to put that championship on him so soon. 
Just two days later, on August 21st, 1996, Dustin Randolph posted this about Mankind and Shawn Michaels and their upcoming title match at Mind Games in Your House, of which he was not a fan. This is what he said. How will Michaels beat Mankind? I know if Mankind can survive the beating he took from The Undertaker, that no wimpy-ass little kick from a 230-pound prick is going to hurt him. Vince is going to have to really come up with something good. Valerie Anus... Don't look at me like that. That's how it's spelled, so that's how I'm pronouncing it. Valerie Anus says, If Sean wins, it'll be from a screwjob caused by The Undertaker's appearance. No doubt. Well, Valerie was close. Undertaker did show up there. He didn't uh, cost him the match, but she was pretty close. There was a reply from somebody using the name WCW Rules. Here's what the uh, this escaped mental patient here had to say. I think they were trying to make some kind of point about uh, Marks and Mark fans, but who knows. This is what he said. I think peanut butter is much better than peanut butter. It's not even funny. I think Skippy should change their recipe. Jeff is ruining their peanuts with stupid ideas like extra crunchy and light. Now I hear there will be a Jif Ultra Light. Jif Kinda Light was a joke. I saw that TV ad with that lady from ALF. I'm gonna be like George Washington Carver when I grow up. I hope that person was kept far away from any sharp objects. That's all I have to say about that. Scott Keith then chimed in. There's a name I haven't heard in many years. How many of you remember Scott Keith? I believe he's still around. Last I knew, he had a website called The Blog of Doom. Anyway, he says, A few points to address here. The Sean backlash continues. I mean, he put out a a four-and-a-half-star match against Vader at SummerSlam. Let's not get carried away. Four-and-a-half stars against Vader at SummerSlam. That was not a a four-and-a-half-star match. I I thought the Sean-Vader match at SummerSlam was good. It wasn't that good. But he says he put on a a four-and-a-half-star match against Vader at SummerSlam. What more do you want from the guy? Since he's not turning heel anytime soon, just accept him as a babyface and appreciate his good matches. To address some other points made here, he is not WWF's biggest draw. Bret Hart and The Undertaker are. Being champion is not synonymous with how much money you bring in. And why does Mankind have to beat Michaels anyway? Sean is easily the better wrestler. Mick Foley is a great guy and all, but he's shit in anything but brawls. A fact which he knows, I'm sure. Giving him the title would be disastrous. You know, business-wise, he may have been right about that, but match-wise, or character-wise, I feel quite the opposite. I don't think it would have been a disaster at all to put the title on Mankind back then. I mean, this was Foley at his physical peak in the fall of 1996. Summer of 96, fall of 96. This was Foley at his physical peak of that original Mankind persona, that dark persona. He was coming off two huge pay-per-view wins over The Undertaker. I fail to see why it would have been such a disaster to put the title on him for a few months and then have Sean or, or, or even Undertaker chase him for the championship. It would have made more sense for it to be The Undertaker trying to get that first win over Mankind, get his revenge. I mean, Undertaker ended up getting the title anyway from Sid at WrestleMania. So they could have just as easily built to him taking it from Mankind. I don't think it would have been a disaster at all. And we end with Robert. On October 9th, 1996, a post-titled WWF will get back on top very soon. Vince McMahon is in wrestling because it is in his blood. 
He is not in it for the money. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh. Vince McMahon, according to Robert, is not in it for the money. Really? Well, then you know what? He's a pretty shit promoter, if that's the case. If he's not in it for the money. He says WCW has Bischoff as a VP. He doesn't know shit about wrestling. He has no business in wrestling whatsoever. He should retire now. He doesn't know how to run a wrestling organization. His booking stinks and his angles need a lot of reinforcement. Making the Giant a part of the NWO was mistake number one. Bringing in Hulk Hogan was mistake number two. And throwing money around at old-timers like Savage was his worst mistake. WCW will be going downhill very soon due to the his lack of creativity and originality. WWF will be back on top soon thanks to the stupidest angle in history, the NWO. And that's the bottom line, because I said so. Doug's had the same reaction that I did. He says, not in it for the money. Good God, man, this is the same guy who gave us Foam Fingers, Saturday Morning Cartoons, The Rocket Wrestling Connection, Hulkamania, and just about everything that comes to mind when I think of the mass market, low work rate wrestling of the last 10 years. Never has there been a wrestling promoter more in it for the money than Vince McMahon. Even his alleged new hardcore philosophy is motivated by flagging ratings and merchandising receipts more than a genuine desire to get back on the old school style of booking. Dean Manley disagrees strongly. No way. The WWF is the worst federation going. All they know how to do is make their wrestlers do stupid gimmicks. The NWO is the best idea that anybody has ever had, and McMoron should disappear forever. And to think, WWF was all I used to watch in wrestling. I have been following pro wrestling for 20 years, over 20 years, and the WWF sucks. So that's from Dean. Things began to take a turn at this point in the dialogue. It reminded me of all the debates I've seen lately about ratings, people talking about AEW ratings and NXT ratings and SmackDown on Fox ratings, getting into debates with each other on social media about the merits of ratings, why do you care about them, blah, blah, blah. You guys are like this. MAD says, yeah, WCW better watch out, all right. Those 2.1 ratings each week for Raw are really scaring WCW, aren't they? You are a stupid fucking lemming. Karna then replies, yeah, all of us lemmings really care about the fucking ratings. You need to shut the fuck up, you stupid cocksucking WCW ratings mark. <laughs> uh, and then things degenerated into a, degenerated further into this heated argument that went on for like 20 posts about quarter-hour breakdowns for the show. I swear, you know, I read this stuff, and sometimes I truly don't know if I'm in 1996 or if I'm in 2019. It's it's kind of eerie. And then we, uh, we, we actually, we officially end. I know I said we were going to end on that one, but we end with this reply from Rich in KC, who claims to have been the online manager in his, uh, in his signature... The online manager for Diamond Dallas Page. Now, I have no idea if DDP even had a website back then, and, and maybe this guy really did manage it for him, because you had, and maybe even today, you have fans who legitimately will manage web pages for some of the wrestlers. So maybe DDP had a site and this guy was his manager, or maybe this is just some kind of stupid gimmick that he put in his profile here. I don't know. Uh, but this is what Rich says. 
It is very doubtful that the WWF and McMahon will get back on top very soon. Their talent is limited, their angles suck. They have alienated a lot of fans with the fake Diesel and Razor angle, and they actually lost a pay-per-view buy rate to WCW. And then came the money line here in this post from Rich. I think right now, Vince's wife is letting him get on the bottom because lately, all he's been able to do is fuck up. That is how you end on a high note. I shall leave you with that visual. Probably the single greatest comment that I have come across in all of these RSPW posts. Let's take a few mailbag questions. Here is the rain pours out my window, outside my window here in New York. A great rainy day fits the mood of the Halloween show. I love it. It's perfect. You can email your questions to me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Jay from Atlanta has a small rant that he wanted to share. It's less a question and more of a rant. Maybe it'll spark some discussion. Jay has been a listener of the show for a long time. He's uh, in and around our Facebook group as well. He says, I'm looking at your Raw poll and I see 75% thumbs down for this week's Raw. What exactly was so bad about it? With matches like Seth Rollins and Humberto Carrillo, with Carrillo basically being put over, the Street Profits in the main event winning as well, Andrade and Sin Cara, some angle advancement no matter what you may think of the Rusev stuff or Rey Mysterio and Shelton Benjamin's promos. We got angle advancement and a killer opener with Drew McIntyre and Ricochet. I really don't understand it. I'm sure SmackDown will get the same treatment because wrestling fans are just miserable and always have been. Well, you would know that already if you've been listening to my RSPW Rewinds. Wrestling fans have been miserable for the last 25 years. It's just that back then, nobody bothered to take a poll of what they thought. Look, I said earlier, I would not have gone as high as 75% thumbs down myself on this past week's Raw show. I also don't think you can argue for something like the Rusev and the Lashley angle. Well, it was still angle advancement, so therefore you have to give it a thumbs down, or a thumbs up or consider it a thumbs up. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Katie Vick was angle advancement too. And it was a shit angle. I mean, come on. You know, but we did have new faces put over on the show, like Carrillo and the Street Profits in the main event. That cannot be denied. It appears Paul Heyman is trying, but it's going to take time. Rome was not built in a day. They have to deal with the fact that they have a three-hour show, and now with a split roster, that makes it that much harder to keep those three hours interesting from start to finish. They have not proven that they can do that. You have three hours, and if they're going to be true to this brand split, half the roster they had access to before, and even when they had access to that roster, they still couldn't make the full three hours interesting enough for a lot of people. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today. But I still believe, three hours or not, if you can write a fun show and throw a few really good matches in there, Raw can get more thumbs up than thumbs down votes. I said it earlier, all but one week in the month of September, last month, all but one week had more thumbs up votes for Raw than thumbs down. You can't ignore that. You can't say, well, the poll bothers me, but look at the poll last month. Is there anything on, on, on wrestling Twitter these days outside of Marco's stunt and WWE 2K20 more polarizing or, or 
living rent-free in more people's heads these days than my friggin' Twitter polls? I mean, come on. I can't tell you how many tweets I get or emails, and I'm not singling out Jay on this. Jay's a good dude, but I get messages from people every week just overly infatuated and obsessed with these polls when they don't go their way. I don't understand it. How could people like this show? Or I don't understand it. How come people didn't love this show? You people are absolutely out of your mind. You people don't like wrestling. You people are, you'll just vote thumbs down on anything. Some of these people have a lot in common with our elected officials. They put too much stock in polls. Stop doing that. Matthias from Asuncion, Paraguay. If he had not been injured in 2001, or if Eddie Guerrero had not died in 2005, would Triple H and Rey Mysterio still have won the Royal Rumble matches in 2002 and 2006, respectively? Well, as soon as Triple H tore his quad, I would think the stage was set for him to come back, uh, probably win the Royal Rumble. Once they had a sense of how long it would take for him to come back, he came back, I think he was ready to come back in December, he came back at the beginning of January, I would, I would think, I mean, in June, probably. June or July of 2001, they already knew that Triple H was probably a lock as long as he was back in time to win that Royal Rumble match. Eddie likely would have been... I'm guessing that Eddie Guerrero, based on where the story was going with him and Batista on SmackDown at that time, my guess is that Eddie would have been the World Heavyweight Champion by Royal Rumble time on the SmackDown brand. So as far as who wins the Rumble match... Randy Orton was in that match with Mysterio and Angle at WrestleMania 22. Randy Orton could have won the Royal Rumble in 2006. Unless they just wanted to have Triple H win it to set up his title match with John Cena on the uh, on the Raw brand. But if I had to take a guess, I would guess Randy Orton probably would have been the front runner to win the Rumble match in 2006. But as far as like what their original plans were, I don't know that they had one. I don't know that they knew even two or three months before who was going to win the Rumble that year. Maybe they did. You know, I, I never heard or read anything anywhere about what the original plans were uh, if those two, uh, you know, incidents didn't occur. I don't know. But Randy Orton would be my best guess for a Rumble winner in 06 because the only reason Rey Mysterio won was because Eddie Guerrero passed away. If Eddie Guerrero does not die in that hotel room in November of 2005, there is no way that Rey Mysterio not only wins the Rumble, but wins the world title of WrestleMania that year. They totally exploited Eddie's death as a way to get Rey over in that storyline. They tried to tell a nice story. Of course, they can never do that. They have to have Randy Orton go on television and talk about how Eddie Guerrero was in hell and all this other bullshit. So what maybe was a nice story in their heads was already uh, fucking soured on by doing that. But there ain't a snowball's chance. They would have a snowball's chance in hell, Rey Mysterio would have, of winning that Rumble and winning the world title that year had Eddie not died. That is just a fact of life. And had that not occurred, I think it would have been Orton winning the Rumble. Brian from Orlando. I was recently listening to Jim Ross and Conrad's podcast, and they were discussing why Pat Patterson left WWE in 2004. I see you're getting the same recommended clips on your YouTube sidebar as I am. uh, They believed it was because of Triple H and his being overpushed. I've also heard that Triple H was very critical of The Rock, trying to derail his push in the late 90s. Have you heard this before and can you give more information about him leaving in 2004? Also, had Triple H derailed The Rock's push 
would he have gone on to become the star that he has become? The Rock thing, I think, is pretty common knowledge that Triple H was jealous of him. There was a professional jealousy there. I don't know. It might have gone both ways, but uh, definitely, I absolutely 100% believe, and no, I wasn't there, but I 100% believe that Triple H had a professional jealousy of The Rock. Absolutely. How could he not? I mean, they were both coming up at the same time as these young potential future headliners for the company. Rock was getting pushed harder and faster than Triple H was. Triple H, you know, look, The Rock won his first world title a year before Triple H did, and Triple H had been wrestling longer. He had been in the company longer. So I've always gotten the vibe that Triple H was jealous of The Rock. Um, You know, I think that I'm sure it was something that was not exclusive to Triple H and The Rock, and it was very common in wrestling. It's it's not just uh, Triple H is unique in that respect. I mean, Hogan, I mean, for God's sake, spent a whole career uh, doing what he had to do to stay on top by his own admission. He has since admitted it. Some of these things are just way too obvious. And as far as him doing things or saying things to hold Rock down. I mean, another example that comes to mind are the stories about Sean and Triple H, both trying to convince Vince McMahon the Rock is not ready to be in the WrestleMania main event, trying to talk Vince out of having Rock wrestle Austin at WrestleMania 15. They were pushing for Foley. They were pushing for Mankind. And Vince stood his ground, and in the end, we got Austin and Rock. And who knows if we would have gotten the kind of Austin and Rock legendary feud between them that we ended up getting... Uh, had Shawn Michaels and Triple H at that time in 99 gotten their way and gotten in Vince's ear and convinced them that, hey, this kid's not ready for that spot yet. Triple H had never been in a WrestleMania main event before. You don't think that that bothered him, that The Rock was going to be in the WrestleMania main event? You're out of your mind. Now, would The Rock have gone on to become the big star he was in WWE and the big star that he is today in, in, in Hollywood and all that had his push been derailed? I think The Rock is such a naturally charismatic guy that I think he would have been fine either way. He would have been a big star no matter what. Now, I heard the same story on JR's podcast that you did, and you'll notice after Conrad reads the reports to him, JR did not refute any of that stuff. I'm I'm talking now about the Triple H and Pat Patterson stuff that I'm going to get into here. He didn't refute it. The Torch report from Wade Keller, which is what Conrad was reading from and referencing, I had heard that, I had heard that Patterson resigned from the company and then he came back the following year. So I knew that, but I was not up on all the details about why. So after I heard the clip and I heard the, you know, JR talking about it on his podcast, I went and I dug up the original report from the Torch newsletter in October of 2004. When Patterson left the company. As the story goes, Vince McMahon sent Pat Patterson, his his right-hand man, one of his lieutenants. He sent Patterson on the road to evaluate the Monday Night Raw roster. They were in the midst of that first roster split. Raw was basically the Triple H show. These are the dark days of the reign of terror on Monday Night Raw of Triple H. or, Or the tail end of it. And things were not going great on tickets or whatever. So he sent Patterson on the road to take status reports and report back to him on what's going on here. What is the problem with Raw? What is the problem with the product? 
And Patterson's conclusion at the end of his evaluation was that Triple H was the problem. Building the raw brand around Triple H, in his view, was hurting the company. And that includes his failure to elevate new talents to a top level, the report said, like Chris Benoit and Eugene, being the two names, or two of the names anyway, cited. And I have to say, I have to stop there and say that in Triple H's defense, he put Chris Benoit over in the main event earlier that year of WrestleMania. In the best way he possibly could have. He tapped out in the middle of the ring at Madison Square Garden. He submitted to Chris Benoit. And as far as Eugene is concerned, some characters are not meant to be main eventers. Maybe Nick Dinsmore could have been a main eventer had his career taken a different path, maybe with a different gimmick. I always heard what a great wrestler Nick Dinsmore was. He was very well respected. But the idea of Eugene failing to get over at a main event level, and this is somehow Triple H's fault? (laughs) I mean, come on. You're going to put that on Triple H? I mean, why don't you blame Pearl Harbor on Triple H, too? Let's see what other world events can we blame Triple H for. The Challenger explosion in 86? Did Triple H fuck around with the circuit circuit breakers on the rocket ship? Was that his fault, too? I mean, come on. Now, Now, the report used them as examples of people who were uh, discarded once their feud with Triple H was was over and it had played out. You could make that argument that they feuded with this top guy and they were cast aside like mid-carders after you know the feud was over. But again, was that Triple H's fault? I mean that that to me, especially the Eugene thing, I would not cite him. That that to me is a stretch. But one wrestler in this report, one wrestler at the time said Sure, Hunter does jobs, but he doesn't elevate anyone, which I think is a fair point. Uh, Now, he did with Batista the following year in 2005, but not many other people. Now, you guys know I'm not fond of that Triple H reign of terror period on Raw from whatever it was, 02 to 04, 03 to 04. It's, It's to me, until the last couple of years where Raw has just become almost unwatchable, it was my least favorite period ever of Monday Night Raw. So this is not a problem that was limited to 2004. It was 2003, 2004, a year before Patterson presented his report to Vince McMahon. Okay, we're going back a year now. A group of road agents, and he doesn't name in the report who these road agents were, planned to go to Vince to let him know what they thought the problem was and that they thought the problem, even a year earlier, was Triple H. But then they get to the meeting, and guess who's in the meeting? Stephanie McMahon. And so they chickened out, and nobody spoke up in the meeting. They had this plan. They're going to march in there. We're going to tell Vince what we think. It's Triple H. And they see Triple H's wife, or or his soon-to-be wife. I think they got married that year, so I don't know if they were already married or about to get married. You know, his wife or fiancé, whatever. They see her sitting in there. What are you going to do? You're going to talk shit about this guy now in front of his wife? You don't think that's going to get back to Triple H? He'll be out of a job. So they chickened out and nobody spoke up. A year later, same deal. Patterson comes to meet with Vince. He's going to, you know, present to him his full report and his full thoughts on what he thinks the problem is. He gets to the meeting. And who is in the meeting? (laughs) Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon. And this time, not only is Stephanie in the meeting, but Triple H himself is in the meeting. And to Pat Patterson's credit, 
He went full steam ahead. He did not let that stop him. He did not let that deter him from telling Vince the truth, from telling Vince what he thought. And and this had to be awkward as all hell. He proceeds to tell Vince McMahon that the problem is Triple H. (laughs) And what an awkward meeting that must have been. And that's when he made an enemy out of Triple H, and Triple H wanted him gone. Things were always tense. There were always reports and stories about tensions between Pat Patterson and Triple H. Going back to when, you know, because Patterson was a big rock guy. He was a big advocate of the rock. And so he was kind of like the rocks guy. Triple H felt that you know, rock being Patterson's uh, boy worked against him. When the two of them were fighting for that spot at the top of the card. Going back to that professional jealousy I was just talking about. And Pat Patterson also didn't like it when Triple H would talk shit about Rock's matches backstage in front of other people. And that reminds me of another famous uh, Triple H story, the Jerry Briscoe story. I'm pretty sure I've told this one before. There's a meeting backstage. I don't know if it's a production meeting or a booking meeting, whatever it is. And Triple H is in on the meeting because even then, in 2000, this happened in the year 2000, even back then, Triple H was allowed to sit in on those meetings. And he's talking about why he thinks Kurt Angle is too small, because they want to put the championship on Kurt. They're going to have The Rock put over Kurt Angle, and Kurt Angle is going to win the WWF title. And Triple H is in this meeting, as if he doesn't have a conflict of interest here. And he's trying to convince these agents and Vince and whoever else is in the meeting that, look, this guy is too small. Nobody's going to buy into him as being the champion. And Jerry Briscoe could take no more. Jerry Briscoe speaks up, and he suggests, well, why don't you two have a shoot fight and see how much his being small works against him? And Triple H backed down. He shut up. So the point is, Triple H and Pat Patterson, by all accounts, they were never really fond of each other. I mean, maybe now they're uh, bosom buddies, but back then they were not fond of each other. Vince McMahon, either he did not agree with Patterson's conclusion or he, he sided with Hunter. Whatever happened, Patterson felt very slighted by this because he was very close to Vince long before Triple H came along. And Vince, I guess maybe he felt Vince was taking his his son-in-law's side. He felt slighted, and so he decided to resign. He decided to leave. And a lot of people figured, well, once cooler heads prevail, he'll come back. And sure enough, six months later, guess who came back? Pat Patterson. Andrew. From Rochester, Minnesota, we'll end with this. Several months ago, I wrote you a buy or sell, forcing you to choose between Bret Hart and Hall and Oates. You called me a cruel bastard you begrudgingly chose and then said that I was dead to you. So what better time for me to return than the Halloween edition of the podcast? I have a new buy or sell for you. Buy or sell on what event you could or you would erase from history if you had to. The 1992 Royal Rumble, or the birth of John Carpenter, thereby erasing all of his contributions to cinema. You know, I'm really starting to hate you, Andrew. I mean, I I kind of got over it. I forgave you. And now I hate you all over again. Uh, Buy or sell on the 92 Rumble or John Carpenter. That's got to be one of the weirdest buy or sells, by the way, that I've ever been forced to choose between. Uh, But I have to say, you know, in this case, it is Halloween week, and I am a big fan of the Halloween movies and everything. That being said, I'm sorry, John. I have to sell on John Carpenter and buy on the 92 Royal Rumble.
I'm sorry, buddy. If you have questions for the mailbag, you can email me, the Solomonster at gmail.com. I feel like Thanos now. Like I just snap my fingers and John Carpenter just disappears. Uh, you can email me your questions, the Solomonster at gmail.com. Uh, I am planning, hoping on doing another uh, YouTube mailbag, video mailbag very soon, taking questions that were posted in that, uh, under that video and other questions that you've emailed me. And again, I'm not giving up on the mailbag here on the show. As you can tell, I'm still taking questions on here, but uh, it just gives me another outlet to to answer more of your questions and, and do so on camera, which is something a little different, right? Always trying new things, right? Sound of gamer series, Sound off inboxes now, the dynamite stream, the live streams, the phone calls. I'm always trying new things. You can't just you can't just rest on your laurels. You always got to try new things. Sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. I get excited when I think of new ideas to try. I've got a whole list of ideas I'm waiting to try. It's just a matter of timing. I need to find time. I'm always open to your suggestions as well. So don't be afraid to email me as well. And uh, let me know if you have any ideas or suggestions for what you'd like to see, either on the show or on the YouTube channel. I'm open to your ideas. So that's going to do it for the Halloween edition of The Sound Off here for 2019. I am uh, looking forward to hopefully watching some scary movies. Maybe tonight. I'll, I have a few on my list. It's actually a, a movie on the Shudder streaming service called Haunt that I've read a lot of good things about. So I think I might check that out. Uh, I have to catch up on Creepshow as well. I didn't see the latest episode of Creepshow. I am caught up on American Horror Story. I'm very much enjoying that uh, season. I am going to be back live on YouTube Wednesday night for the AEW Dynamite stream. On Thursday as well, I will be on YouTube, whether live or not, I don't know. But I will be doing a review for Sweet Saudi Money 4. I'll bet there's someone buried in that floor review. So that's coming up on Thursday. And then, of course, episode 624 of the podcast will be our first show for the month of November. And in case you forgot, I know I haven't, the month of November, in fact, that second weekend specifically, uh, the weekend of the AEW pay-per-view, marks the 12-year anniversary of this podcast. We are quickly approaching the 12-year anniversary next month of the Solid Monster Sounds Off. So I will talk more about that as we get close. 12 years. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe I have people listening to me right now who were there on day one, who heard episode one. Hopefully you will join me as we celebrate the entire month of November. We celebrate 12 years of the sound off. So until next time, be well, stay safe, have yourselves a very spooky week, and I will see you back here on Wednesday on the YouTube channel for Dynamite, Thursday for some sweet Saudi money, and uh, episode 624 next Sunday. Until then, take care, guys. The Sala Monster sounds off. Roman referred to himself as, quote, the best performance fighter alive. Performance fighter? Holy shit. Is everybody not named Dolph Ziggler in that company afraid to just call themselves professional wrestlers? Do they have an allergic reaction if they refer to themselves as a professional wrestler? Does their throat close up? Do their eyes swell shut? They have to have an EpiPen stuck in their leg? I mean, I don't understand this. I wonder if there is any other industry in the world where people willingly sign up, but they're afraid to actually admit what they do. Porn. That's the closest thing I could think of. Porn. Ah. The Salamonster Sounds Off, available wherever you hear podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. Want more content? Visit YouTube.com slash The Salamonster for sound off extras and more. And follow The Salamonster on Twitter at Salamonster. 
Put that cigarette out. So the monster sounds off. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today.